You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly talk and footy episode. This week we've got a favourite guest, Luke Garrity. I get asked about you all the time on the talk and footy. <laughs> Welcome back. It's been probably oh, five or six weeks, something like that. So Luke Garrity, Tragic Nights fan, uh, also co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery Podcast, which is a fantastic one. Recent Parramatta episodes, an absolute cracker. And also... Prominent jersey collector, which we forget to mention sometimes. Luke has hundreds of jerseys and uh, very prominent in the jersey collecting community, if you didn't know there was one. <laughs> so, Luke, welcome back, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. It's a wonderful wrap. It's good to be back. It's been a little while. Um, you'll, you'll obviously uh, be a big chance of getting me on more regularly if, like, say, Newcastle have a slightly better season. Talking football's not doing me much good at the moment. <laughs> We're trying to steer clear of it as much as possible. Well, I, hopefully I'm still going strong when I'm 75 and we can make that happen, mate. But <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like yeah, any chances wrong. in the next couple of um, decades, but, you know, maybe you'll get there yeah. on a long-term rebuild. We're rebuilding. That's right. <laughs> uh, it hasn't been good for Newcastle lately, um, but... Uh, I did cover that last week. I do always promise you to give you a little uh, crack at Newcastle. So, uh, look, I'll let you do that as well. So don't worry, mate. I've got you covered there. <laughs> but for those that are listening for the first time, talking footy episodes, they are just rugby league talk only. Uh, we do talk about all the current topics at hand. It is unbiased. It is just from a fan's point of view. And we just go for it and say it how it is. If you disagree, that's fine. Like we always say. Plenty of mates disagree and then have a beer afterwards. So let's just aim to do that if you uh, if you hate any of the podcast content. <laughs> but um, also on top of that, we do have the Supercoach episodes every Tuesday, obviously. So the TLT episodes drop on Wednesdays and the Talking Footy episodes drop every Friday and you can find them everywhere. So I do have a slight cold. So if I'm a bit cracky in my voice, I apologize. I'll do my best. But before we even get into the... Before we even get into all the topics for this podcast, uh, it is quite shocking news that just came through actually 10 minutes ago that Paul Green died. So I just want to um, send condolences to Paul Green, his family, and all the rugby league community. That's uh, very, very sad. Sudden death, 49 years old, found at his Brisbane home. Uh, looks like he's died in his sleep, and we're going to wait for a post-mortem to see what happened. But by all accounts, uh, he hadn't even been um, sick or anything like that, and it's very, very sudden and extremely sad. I, I loved seeing him play for the Sharks down here locally as well, watched plenty of games live with him there and enjoyed it. He's obviously a, a Queenslander as well and played Origin Series and also very prominent um, going into the Cowboys as a coach for many years and then also the Queensland team. So he's just he had a great career. Uh, seemed like a, a good bloke, and it's just—it's very sad at 49 years old that you just sort of get that news. It's just very shocking. Yeah, it's awful. Um, yeah, a really good career. Obviously, it's not every coach that makes multiple grand finals and and wins one, and um, you know, plays representative football for Queensland and things like. Well, even the NRL is only the elite, the elite to sort of play state of origin footy and then have that coaching career. It's, yeah, it's um, extremely sad, and you know, best wishes to his family and and everyone up there. Mm, very sad news. I'm sure we'll hear more about it in the coming days, um, but we do need to, we will move on in the podcast and go through the topics. We've got half a dozen to cover for this podcast episode. The first one is a normal round review from round 21. 
Uh, we may as well start off with the first game of the round because I think that was a bit of a standout for a few reasons. Roosters 34, Brisbane 16. Now, I actually thought coming into this game that the Broncos might be in a bit of trouble. There were some signs for a couple of weeks and really that Tigers game was pretty bad at Suncorp and I spoke about that on the last Talking Footy episode uh, and we recorded that one before the Roosters game. Tim O'Connor uh, was great on that last episode and he was a Broncos fan and actually tipped the Roosters to win anyway. So he, he kind of saw it coming too, but it's it, it was probably the first 20 minutes of that game, Luke. Um, as a Roosters fan, I sort of turned around and said, look, this is what I've been waiting for. The first 20 minutes look like the, the, the prime time Roosters that we've known at their peak sort of the last decade. Now, it only lasted about 20 minutes and unfortunately then they went into some errors and things, but that was enough to really... Just to obliterate Brisbane, really, and there was a couple of things that really stood out for me. Like physically, the Roosters really dominated Brisbane, and the the meters that they were making right from the first set of six all the way through that period just absolutely killed Brisbane. And Brisbane weren't getting anywhere either with their meters, uh, and the Roosters just played off the back of that and just killed them. And there was no errors either initially. Uh, it ended up that the Roosters let them off the hook. You know, it was thirty four sixteen. If the Roosters went on with it and played like they did in the first 20 minutes, which I'm not sure they're capable of at the moment, they're still trying to get there. If they did that for the game, they would have obliterated the Broncos. It would have been far far less close than what it was. Um, if that was a prime Penrith team with everyone in it, they would have won by 50. And it was, you know, when you look at the stats as well, you can see the Roosters took their foot off the pedal. The completion rate was 67%. It was a poor second half. And the Broncos actually completed 82%, but they couldn't do much. And... It was also one of those things, too, when you look at that, you know, the run metres that I mentioned, 1,819 run metres for the Roosters, 1,373 for the Broncos. That's a big, big difference of 500 run metres for the game when it's 50-50 possession. Uh, And then when you have a look at everything else, you know, there was 50 missed tackles by Brisbane. Yeah, it was it was crazy. The Roosters topped the error count with fourteen and Brisbane's nine, which you know goes into the problems that the Roosters will have if they don't play more of that first twenty minutes and less of that second half football because they do have a lot of errors in them and we saw that. But look, for me, I, I just saw the the Roosters the first twenty were just that physically dominant, and the other thing was that the the Broncos just do seem like a team on the slide the last few weeks. And Adam Reynolds, you know, as a saviour in that spine and really the only player that can make things happen really didn't make much happen and the Fords didn't step up. So it, it was a pretty telling game because we're not that far away from finals and the Roosters look a bit better and the Broncos just seem to continue to slide to me. Yeah, it, it's it, the Broncos are another example of the, the danger to the media cycle, which it always bothers me how quick we are to trumpet things you know like they had a good start to the year and it's like oh my god the broncos they're back and everything else and you know they're 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 a couple of games away from missing the finals um but they've already been like adam reynolds has already been given a coronation as the greatest signing in the history of the club and walters has turned them around and 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 look that 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 might this might be a mid-season bump in the road or a late season bump and they come back and they go well and make it to the second week of the finals or something which would be a good result but we don't know that yet and there's every likelihood as well that they do actually fall right off and it's just you know we, we are very quick to sort of write teams off and write teams in um, based on early season form, particularly when it's against your expectations. We were expecting Brisbane to struggle. So they've really been trumpeted up for essentially, you know, what's amounting to going to be a seventh or eighth season. Um, I'm looking at the table at the moment. I think with them, 
what's probably going to save them is I can't see who's going to leapfrog. I think they're going to be in the finals. Uh, I don't, you know, whether they can compete once they're there is one thing, but you look at it and you've got the Raiders on 22, four points behind them are going to have to find some wins um, or Manly are three full wins behind them at the moment. So, uh, and the Dragons who obviously, are, you know, I don't really see making that ground up. So it's going to be, you know, with Brisbane playing Newcastle this week, you'll think they'll be in the finals and that would be a, a tick for the year, but it's hard to see with the way they're playing them going much further. Um the Roosters, I think Matt Lodge has been really good, and I thought he would be the second they got him. Yeah, um, I, I did just too. That, yeah, it, it's just perfect for them. Um, I, I've been looking for the last year or so and thought they just really lack a bit of power in the middle of the field. Uh, they've got some older guys. They're, they're not doing a bad job, but it's just that they just missed a bit of power. Um, and people underestimate the role that Courtney used to play in that role too, because he wasn't just an edge forward. In fact, when I think of him, the thing I think most of is coming in when we're under pressure and making tough carries and making yardage when needed. And then, you know, much more than I think of him as an attacking edge or anything. I, I think of all that tough stuff and, and they've probably lacked a, a little bit of that with some of their middle forwards aging and slowing a little bit. And he really was perfect. Like for him to come up at that price, um, for what he is, which is he's a much better player than what they're paying him um, because New Zealand are paying him. And um, I think that that's a big, big help to them. And it really may be a thing that can help them close the gap on the top couple of teams because my question mark on them was always the forwards, the middle forwards, um, and that they, you know, if they lay a platform, you, you've only got to look at who's in their team and they can, they're going to score points if they get front football. Yeah, and it was also, I agree with you 100% on Lodge. We definitely needed that in there as another big middle forward front rower. Um, so that's definitely helped. And one of the other things too is, that, you know, Kiri's been uh, not playing throughout the entire season. He looked really good. Uh, he had two tries. He had a line break try himself. Um, he he played really well, and that's going to be pretty key. Sam Walker's been good the last few weeks. He had a pretty solid game, pretty smart kicking game at times. Uh, it's interesting that they've quietly switched their numbers. Um, because Robbo um, was so indignant early in the year about doing that, about mm. Kiri at six, and, you know, wouldn't take it. You know, when Andrew John said it had to happen and a lot of other people did, he was really like, oh, I'm not going to do that and everything else. And um, two things to it. One, just to call him out that, like, maybe, you know, he shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't have been rubbishing people in the media for saying what he's done. But secondly, it's actually, it is actually a really good sign because it's good coaching. Um, there's a lot of coaches that won't correct errors. They won't. Like, they think something and that's it. They'll die on that hill. And good coaches actually don't. They see things, realise when they've made a mistake, or not even a mistake, but something they can do better. And and they they are suited. It's not the same position. I know a lot of people like to think it is, but it's not the same position. And Kiri and Walker, playing with Walker, is much more of a, per, a, a number seven. And Kiri is a running 5'8". And, and it, I think it is actually good coaching to be able to realise sometimes that what you're doing isn't quite the perfect way to do it and make an adjustment rather than dying on the hill of, well, I thought this in the first place, so I'm not going to let anyone tell me I was wrong. Mm. Um, it is good coaching and not, not a lot of them will do it. There's a lot of guys that will not do it. Yeah, 100% agree with you. Um, but I, I actually thought a month ago when I was looking at it, I thought that I did a little mock table for a group that I was in that was sort of were doing predictions on what the table was going to look like. And I actually, when I was doing it, it just sort of mapped out to, geez, the Broncos are close to the edge of that eight now um, mm. with what I worked out, what I thought they'd win and what I thought they'd lose. And then also I'd sort of account for, well, if they slide or they're worse than what they have been, what does that look like? If they've got injuries, like Adam Reynolds was injured at the time. If he's out longer, what does that look like? It, it looked like 
they could miss the eight. And I actually thought, wow, Southall Broncos, depending on how their um, fortunes turn for this final third run home, Southall Broncos could actually miss the eight here. And South have obviously kicked on and, and played well, and they're not going to. I think I agree with you. If the fortunes of the Dragons and the Raiders have been different the last month, I think the Broncos would be under real threat to miss the top eight, and that would absolutely be a calamity for mm-hmm. for Walters. And also, like you said, the, the, the media darlings of the first third of the season and the big improvers, uh, I think that they're, they're very... Look, I, I shouldn't say they're very fortunate only because they did a lot of good work at the start of the season, so they put themselves in that position and they've earned a spot in the top eight as well. So to be fair, there's that. But they are also a little fortunate that it is in other years where the team in ninth and tenth weren't pushing harder um, to really push into there and weren't able to get into there because I don't think they'll be able to now. And Manly, Manly's another one, is that Manly mm. A had the whole controversy with the Pride jerseys where, you know, that could easily, that's a game that they may or may not have won, but they would have been a better chance. And that would put them on 22 if they'd got that game um, and would put them only two wins behind. And the fact that, you know, Travojevic hasn't played and everything else, there's, that they are, it's, if they make the finals, uh, to clarify, I think that would be considered a successful season if you go from before the start. Um, I think everyone would say that was a really good result for them. But there's definitely been a narrative throughout this year that seemed to think they were better than that and a top four chance. And that narrative has fallen apart a little bit. I think that it's a successful season from round one, but that recalibration of expectation in the mid-season that they were going to compete and, you know, be in the top four and pushing that, it's not realistic anymore. I'm not seeing the signs of that. Yeah, I agree with you um, 100%. Um, Let's have a look at some of the other games. So the other games in the round, um, I mean, there was a, a, a Melbourne resurgence, but you kind of expected that. Cameron Munster scored three tries, um, was magnificent in that game. So that's worth mentioning. But Melbourne still don't seem to be, oh, I guess, the powerhouse that you're expecting. And they do have players out. Jerome Hughes got hurt in that. Now, I do wonder with them now, you know, they just keep having these injuries. How much is Jerome Hughes going to affect things if he's out for a couple of weeks as well? They just don't seem to be getting the rub of the green on the injury front and the roster front where they're getting the continuity. And because they've got so many different players in the outside backs and also the forwards, uh, it's just it's not going to potentially gel for them by the time they get to the finals with who they keep getting out. Um, so it's it was a it was a good win for them. Um, and I should say it was against the Titans, not the Warriors, mm. my, my mistake. Um, yeah. But, you know, you do get the Titans and Warriors confused this year. <laughs> Apologies, Titans and Warriors fans. It's um, the two worst teams at conceding, you know, points to, and to outside backs especially. So you did think that Melbourne could have had a, a field day. Um, and, you know, it was a convincing win, um, one by what, four, 16 in the end, 14. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't a mm. Melbourne Storm win against the Titans sides. It's at the bottom of the ladder. No, I, I was thoroughly unimpressed. They were up 12 nil and, and got run down basically into 12 all. Um, pretty quick smart. Um, or, or 14, it was 14 nil or something, and it got to 14 12 or something like that pretty quickly. Um, it, it's, yeah, they're not, they're not at the races at all at the moment. In fact, if Cameron Munster wasn't playing, there's every chance they would have lost. And you wouldn't say things like that about them a few years ago. Um, the injury sticks hit them pretty hard and it was probably due to, I mean, I've never said, se- I've never seen a team, um, you know, in the Smith and Cronk era have so many key players just basically never get hurt. 
like Billy Slater late in his career missed a season. And apart from that, I mean, Cronk and Smith and others just never miss games um, ever. It was remarkable because every, any team you think of have gone through seasons where their best players are out for the year and stuff. And it never seemed to happen. And um, they've sort of, that luck has turned on them the last year or two. Pappenhausen seems quite injury prone and they've just had a lot of guys go this year. Um, but they're, they're a fair way off. And that was always the risk with them in that without sort of bagging, Players, like if you go into round one, everyone was really like trying to smarm up about how the Knights had lost Josh King and then Storm had turned him around and that sort of thing. But if you go into round one with starting players that couldn't make the Knights team last year when they came eighth, <laughs> like if you go in with them starting, your depth is struggling, right? Like that, that, that was a struggle. They had guys from Q Cup on their bench that were, you know, real Queensland Cup players. They had Josh, Josh King did not make the Knights side last year. It's the starting lock. Um, it doesn't suggest you can afford to have four or five injuries and that's what's happened um they're they're doing fine i mean like put it this way i would love for my bad my team's bad season to be coming fourth uh, and limping a bit with five rounds left (laughs) but they are nowhere near at the moment they have so much you would never write them off but they have a lot of work to do if they want to get anywhere near the sharks the cowboys the panthers and realistically i would struggle to see them beating the roosters eels or the rabbitos at the moment in a final i would have them as the seventh best team right now uh, and they may turn that around, but that, that's where I see him at the moment. Yeah, I think what it's done is it's put a huge amount of pressure on Cameron Munster and Harry Grant to win games by themselves. Like they're not, they're just not getting much from anywhere else, uh, and that's it's going to be a massive concern in the finals for them. And I think that also the other thing too is that other teams were sort of for years and rightly so worried about playing the Melbourne Storm because they were so dominant in so many areas. I don't think that they've got that stigma anymore. So I don't think they're worrying anyone. No, no, and look, that's one thing. It's it, to be. Uh, it's not a huge criticism, but what we sort of just think when when say Slater became Pappenhausen and Smith becomes Grant, we think it just rolls on and that doesn't change things. But they are new and different players with different strengths and weaknesses. And, and Harry Grant isn't playing that well at the moment. I've been watching them. He's not causing any trouble. No. He's a bit tired. Uh, which is understandable, and his danger level is nowhere near what it was before the origin period, and he may snap out of it, but he's not Cameron Smith. He's not a guy that is like that churns the same performance out every week and plays at that high level. He's a young kid who's you know only really in his second full year of first grade uh, who is not producing that incredible tackle-busting sort of danger, dangerous game that he was a few months ago, um, and his team really needs him to get it back. So they aren't there's a lot of pressure on them and, um, you know, we don't talk, sometimes it doesn't get noticed, but but he's actually not playing that well. And there's a few guys in there that aren't playing that well that they really need a lot out of if they're going to go anywhere. Um, and Bellamy doesn't really get um, yeah. criticised either very much for those type of things. And I don't think that he should hugely, but there is a lot of players in that team that aren't, aren't doing that well. And I think that if it was some other clubs, uh, they would be criticised a little bit more in that regard and what's going on and what's happening. Um, Brandon Smith's gone through the floor this year. Um, yeah. And there's yeah. there's a lot of players sort of like that in that type of mould too. But look, let's move along. Um, the Very quickly, the, the Seagulls and Eels, that I, I just, I do want to mention that game because I wasn't sure what Eels team was going to turn up. Obviously, no Mitchell Moses. Uh, and, and, you know, Mitchell Moses has his critics, but he is a decent halfback and he has played well. And whenever you have a halfback go out and, you know, obviously much maligned Jacob Arthur comes in, and I don't uh, buy into, you know, hating on Jacob Arthur or anything. He's just got no experience and he's just a backup second grade half, which is what happens when your 900k half ends up out. You know, that's just how it is. So how do you deal with that when you're a side that's 
well, pretty up and down for the final third of the season in the Parramatta Eels, like they often are. And they're going to four pines against the Manly side that needs to win. Uh, I thought they were, they were pretty good, um, considering everything and considering that I'm not hugely high on how they've been going. Uh, and I do need to single out, like I thought Gutherson was very good. Uh, he had three tries for them, uh, was making the plays for them. And especially in the absence of of Moses, that was good enough to get them along. And when you look at the, you know, the Seagulls obviously aren't going great, but the, you know, the Eels still had an eighty six percent completion rate. Um, Jacob Arthur stepped in and did a job too with tries, and it just, it's, it. I think that it wouldn't have been that much different a game if Moses was there, and that's a bit of a compliment to the Eels and how they turned up against a manly side that needed to win. So it, it was a pretty entertaining game of football. I quite liked it. My boy Sebo got across the line as he always does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know whether that's going to be. Geez, the Eels won't be as bad off for a few weeks without Moses, or whether it was or merely, you know, aren't really quite up to speed with the the rest of the top eight, and maybe the Eels are going to be inconsistent again when they come up against the better sides. It's just really hard to gauge these sides at the moment. But I did think that the Eels was quite good. Were were quite good in that game. Yeah, I I can't stand Parramatta because I just can't tip them. Like I don't know what to do. <laughs> like every week I just go, I've got no idea. I was like, oh, you know, they were good last week, so maybe not this week, and Manly might be a bit fired up after all that. And You know, so I tipped against them. I, I never get them right. I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, I, I can tip their season because it's just going to be wildly inconsistent, but week to week, I can't tell when it's going to happen. Um, I, Arthur was fine. He's, he's he. I've been critical of him because I, I think that he had no business being on the bench, um, and in and and, and that when he was picked over Dylan Brown and stuff, that's what's upset fans. And I get yeah, that. Yeah. I get that a lot, and I would be furious at my club if that happened because that, that those were really bad decisions. That are, it's just nepotism. But like, there's nothing wrong with him being the halfback when Mitchell Moses is out. That's his role. He's a backup halfback. So um, I think the main story is, that, again, disappointment from Manly. Um, Trevojevic is out, and I know that having your best player out does hurt your season, and I get all of that. But, you know, that they they pay Cherry Evans a lot of money, like a lot of money. Um, he's considered by a lot of people to be an elite halfback. Uh, he's Australian number had, seven, mate. He's better than Nathan yeah. Cleary, if, if you ask well, me. Well, that's all the talk, and apparently... <laughs> Origin three apparently confirms that, even though it's a team sport. But look, he even in a bad view, he's been a very, very good player for a long time. But yeah, yeah, you can't be having a halfback on that sort of money with the firepower they still have and not make the eight, and they're they're in trouble. Um, that's that's not a good performance from them, and their roster I think has got a little bit bent out of shape, uh, which is again is interesting because that's always been Hasler's problem. And that he has got rosters out of shape, and and they're going to have to work something out because, you know, once you take Tommy or, or or, or um Cherry out of that side, there's there's just a few too many holes appearing in that forward pack, and a few too many guys that you, a few too many guys that probably should be your last reserve, lobbing up in the starting team and on the bench, and yeah, I'm I'm it's a disappointing season from them, and if they miss the finals, it's yeah, I, I think they'd be entitled if you went for them to say that's a very bad result. In the, in the last three weeks, and, and I say this because a lot of it is on Daily Cherry Evans, the last three weeks, the Manly Seagulls have scored 6, 10, and uh, 20 points against the Eels, but it was 20 points that was a, you know, seemed pretty unconvincing. Um, their, their attack hasn't really been there, and a lot of it mm. is on Cherry Evans in that regard, but it's, it's three games where I don't think anyone would say he had a good game, and it's, it's also three games where... 
if that was at the start of the season, it wouldn't matter as much. But it just seems with him that it happens too often when they really need him to be having good games. And that's those are the superstar games. You need the superstar games. And you need your superstar to at least lead the way, even if it's in the losing side, where you sort of say, oh, look, Daly's been been going really well. It's just the, the team's just not good enough. But it hasn't been the case. He just hasn't been very good. Um, so he needs to step up for this final season run. Otherwise, it's going to be end up being like close to two months of footy to end with that he hasn't been any good mm. at the end of a season where Manly needed him to make the eight and they're not going to. So, yeah, a big storyline there for sure. Um, the South Sydney Rabbitohs beat the Warriors 48 to 10. I think the takeaway from this just dimension is the South Sydney attack's been really good, um, but there's a few guys that are really making the difference lately, and you saw them again in this matchup. Now, I know the one guy that, that everybody's going to agree with and should be the first one to talk about. Let's leave him to last. Um, a couple of others. Cam Murray had three tries this in like the first 15 minutes, uh, and he was just sensational. Um, and he had an amazing effort from a forward attacking wise. What he was involved in, it was almost like a half running out there and doing some of the things that he did. He was fantastic, and he looks like he's back to the best. I think that he had a few niggles and things, but he absolutely tore up the Warriors and looks like he's 100% healthy. The other one that doesn't get talked about much, except I mentioned it in the Supercoach circles, is Colin Matangi, um, since the end of that origin period, has gone on an absolute tear, and he's been the sort of player that you're hoping he was. During that middle part of the season, he wasn't really getting offloads or tackle breaks. He wasn't running as much. Guess the Warriors side ran for 16 hit-ups, almost 160 metres, so basically 10 metres a hit-up, three offloads, a line break try, uh, three tackles, and he was just a couple of tackle breaks. He was just killing it, and he's been doing a lot of that every week, uh, and I thought he was very good against a poor Warriors pack. Obviously, that's Charles Mitchell's the other one. Damien Cook played well too. I should mention him. He's been going better than what I think um, there was a lot of uh, critics that thought his downfall was coming. I don't think that's the case necessarily. Latrell Mitchell, though, obviously, you know, only played 62 minutes, kind of did nothing for the first 20, but then pops up with two tries, two line break assists, um, two line breaks of his own, two tries, his three tackle breaks, three offloads, just absolutely stuffs the stat sheet and just terrorizes the New Zealand Warriors. And you expect him to, and you expect those other guys to dominate the Warriors. But to me, one of the things that's been interesting is, um, it's still the South team that was really bad before. Latrell Mitchell has made a massive impact to make them win these games by 40-odd points, where maybe that was only a 10-point win before. And he does have that type of impact. But their outside backs, I keep looking at going, well, you've got you know, a, a second game of Isaac Thompson on the wing, and then you've got Paulo playing in the centres. It's not very good defensively. And the outside backs still aren't very good. And yet they're, they're having these wins. So I'm always quietly looking at these games going, I wonder if they're going to get found out in the outside backs this week, even though Latrell's back in form and, and back there for six weeks now. You know, I've been waiting for that to happen. Didn't happen this week against the Warriors. Um, I'm, I'm keen to see them play some better sides. And that's why this round 22 one, I think against it, the Eels at Combank Stadium. I'm actually really looking forward to that game because it's two sides that you, you find it hard the last couple of rounds to get a gauge on entirely. And this one might actually sort a bit of it out. Yeah, I think that'll that'll be it's it'll be interesting watching that. I, I'm trying to think uh, again. It's hard to know what will happen because both of those teams can be quite inconsistent. Um, I, I think it's uh, I don't want to just write it off, but I just think the Warriors were awful, and I think they're awful with some regularity. And it was just one of those days, and I, I just don't take that much out of it for South. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying it. 
they're bad. I just don't think beating New Zealand by that means anything, to be honest with you. It's just one of those things. You get the Warriors on the right day and they don't try. And they didn't try. Um, some of the Mitchell highlights, people will say how good they were. And yes, of course they were, but he should have been tackled by some of those people. <laughs> it's the end of the day. It, oh, God, oh, one of those tries. Yeah. I put out on Twitter, the it, Warriors have just given up yeah. because one of those tries, there was like yeah. six defenders there, literally six. And he just sort of pushed away from them all and then went over under the sticks. And it was like, oh, God. Like, they... But that's, that's the thing. It wasn't, everyone talks about his running and tackle busting, but he didn't, he wasn't running hard and shoving that much on that run. He just, sort of they just sort of bumped off him like it wasn't that brutal from him in the way he can be I just thought they were poor um they're a team that's you know in super coach purposes really hard the Warriors because they can just play like a normally okay to bad side but there's days they are a side that has give up days days where they're going to concede 50 points and they would have conceded 60 in this game if if they hadn't have taken sort of resting players for the last you know yeah. 20 minutes they, they would have got a bath and that happened against melbourne earlier in the year with the 70 and stuff and they're just one of those sides that on those days they, they give up and it's very hard to read too much into that so I, i'm really looking forward to seeing south next month because they've had a pretty easy run i think um, and all of a sudden now they're going to have to play some of the better sides and we'll get a good gauge where they're at because I'm just not really sure. I, I, we need to see them play these games to get a bit of a guide on it. it it's, um, you know, wouldn't surprise me if they were able to go deep in the finals and likewise it wouldn't surprise me if it fizzled out a bit. I agree with you. Um, and, and the Warriors were really bad at times and I was um, making a few mentions of that on Twitter. Uh, a couple of other ones just to touch on. We're not going to go through all the games, so I'll just touch on the other ones. Uh, the Penrith Panthers, 26-6. Uh, I guess the Raiders was disappointing. We're going to talk about uh, Ricky and some incidents in that game after this. So we'll leave that. But I don't think anyone expected the Panthers to win by 20. Uh, I'd say that it's a really good win for the Panthers without their halves and a really poor loss for the Raiders. It puts their season hanging by a thread. But I'm interested in your opinion on the Sharks-Dragons game in the incident that occurred with Tarek Sims uh, because I was watching that and watching it live, I turned around and went, oh, I think he might get sent here. And I actually said um, some people I was chatting with, you know, I, I wouldn't send him because I sort of think to me that's just a, a little bit unfortunate. It was sort of he didn't come up high with a swinging arm or anything, um, but he did hit him in the head and it was like shoulder, bicep type of area. And it's sort of like, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't send him completely. I think a, a sin bin's what I would do, but under the rules and what they say this year, he's got to be gone, you know, and like I was saying, one of my mates was like, oh, I'm not sure about it, and I sort of said, well, you know what, like they say all the time, this criteria that you hear spewing out of the ref's box or the bunker, and it's like contact was from the shoulder, direct to the head, uh, you're off, and it's like, well, it was shoulder, direct to the head, no mitigating circumstances. And we've seen other ones where they've said these type of things. And I'm not going to bring up the David Clemmer send-off a month ago because that would incense you where it was said the same type of thing. <laughs> uh, you know, we get these other instances instances that aren't send-offs. The week before I made the point, Egan Butcher got sent off for jumping over and wrapping his arm around someone and it was like nothing in it at the end of the game. And he got sent off entirely for it and ended up copying one week on the sideline for it. You, know, you get these really soft send-offs and it's like, well, based on what we see, uh, that's pretty bad. And Connor Tracy was in a bad way because it was a big collision. It's, it's, it, I know that they're going to send him off. And they didn't. They sent him for 10. 
Now, Anderson again has come out with this one and sort of said, oh, yeah, I would have preferred it to be a send-off. There just seems to be no... I know we seem to say it every week, but like on this podcast, we need to talk about the big issues and the big things that come up. And it's just, it just happens to be that every week we get send-offs and sin bins that don't make sense and we get charges that don't make sense. Now, Tarek is now rubbed out for the rest of his Dragons career where he's going to be um, eligible to play round one of next year now or round one of the finals if they were to make it. And that's not going to happen. So... You know, it was bad enough for him to get the rest of this season that's left, but it was only a ten minute sin bin. Whereas you look at someone like Egan Butcher the week before, it was a one week, it was a one week charge, and he got sent off. You know, it's just it's hard to make sense of it, Luke. But by their criteria, I thought it was a send off. I'm happy for them to be ten in the bin, and I'd rather that because that's how I'd call it. But that's not how they do it. No, it's a send off under the rules they play under, and there is reasons for that. Like it's it's. All the stuff is coming out that concussions are very dangerous. And, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that it's not good for you to get your head rattled around your brain that hard. Um, You know, like, regardless of the science, I think you can see from Connor Tracy that it's probably not good for you. Um, So they're strict on it, and they're stricter than they used to be, and have redefined the parameters because they want to be seen to be trying to stop this. And it was it's a send-off under the rules. That's that's that. Um, and we can all have different interpretations over whether we would like it to be or whether it should or shouldn't. But th- they've been calling lesser things than that all year. And those ones just leave a really foul taste in the mouth of a lot of people because we'll all have it. All of our teams will cop one that's not as bad as that, you know, and it's very hard to reconcile, reconcile it. It just really is. It, if it's not Connor Tracy, uh, you know, what is it? Like, what's going to be a send-off if not that? That's what I don't really understand. Um, and, and what point, what are we looking for in those if not that? And why have the rule? It, it just, to me, a send-off is something that goes a bit beyond, like, it's a bit, it, it's wrong, it's a foul, and it's pretty spectacular or violent. And, and that just met the criteria there. It caused a lot of damage. And um, I just know that there'll be a team that cops one before the end of the season that is not as bad as that. In fact, usually what happens is a overreaction is they realise they got it wrong and someone's going to get sent off. Yeah, someone will get sent off for something really innocuous and it's very frustrating because consistency will never be across the board because it's it's not how it works. Like people interpret things differently and make mistakes, but there's just some things that anyone who understands rugby league properly knows and you get a feel for it. And people who understand and watch the game will see that and know that the way the game is ref these days, that's a send-off. And th- that's just what everyone will think, you know. <laughs> and you're not going to have 100% consistency, but there's, it's got to be it's got to be within certain parameters of consistency, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, nobody, I don't think anyone's asking for 100% because it's unachievable. But at the moment, we're at about 20%. <laughs> so, like, it's just not good enough. You know, if, if we should be at 90%. And really, it makes, when I saw that, after the game, I, I said, you know, it's it's like the referees don't actually have any clear-cut criteria or training or feedback or performance management on what they need to be doing and what the NRL is striving to achieve with these calls because it, it's it, there was not there was not that was clear-cut as far as it wasn't innocuous. There was no other mitigating factors. It was a, it was a clear tackle where. He was one on one up top. There was someone around the legs, and you could see it all. And 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 he had every opportunity to do a million different things. There was no no mitigating factors, so it wasn't a hard decision. It, it just seemed pretty easy. If your indicators are, if we get anyone that hit, gets gets hit high and knocked out with a shoulder to the head, 
and there's no mitigating circumstances and it's direct contact, then you know, it's a send-off. It, I always thought for the last year that they sort of had that kind of criteria, but it just seems to be all over the place. No, and it's a good criteria, but really, because it, you get some guys who will get unlucky from time to time, but shoulders, like the reason the shoulder charge is banned, and obviously I, as an old school fan, don't like it because <laughs> I love it, but, but the reason it's banned is it's just fundamentally so much more dangerous and causes so much more harm than, than you know, an arm. That, that's why we banned it because the, the high tackles you see where you go, oh, come on, he barely clicked him and stuff are all arm and often people get up and are okay. But when when your shoulder gets someone in the head, it is incredibly uncommon for that person to be okay, to be get up and be all right. It causes a it just damages people. It's a harder part of the body. It hurts more and it causes more damage. And they, they banned the shoulder charge for that reason because they do not want shoulders going into people's heads and they want the players to be extremely careful to not do it. And that's why that that's part of enforcing that rule is that if you do that, you get sent from the field and you really badly cost your team. You probably cost them a game. There's not, not many teams are going to win with 12. And, and it's, it's part of getting rid of it for the for the safety element and that just all the criteria box they would tick as an organization says that that's a send-off yeah and it should have been under the rules and i will say look i don't um in Tarek's defense i don't think it's the worst tackle in the world or anything and like i said you know under my rules i'd probably just sit in him but it's not my rules it's the ones that you expect to be consistent and upheld and that wasn't um the next game the the cowboys did what they needed to against the Bulldogs. There wasn't really any particular highlights of that. There was no real highlights in the last game, which was a bit of a stinker, but I'm going to give you your night's opportunity for a couple of minutes because <laughs> like, you got a win. It shouldn't be a, uh, a Luke Garrity monthly night's rant. You, you got the win. Oh, yeah, but like they're, they're going so like the, the the state of that club. I kind of wanted them to lose, so they would. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, they're going so badly, and you got all these idiots in the media saying, "Oh, if they beat the Tigers, and then." you know, beat the Titans in a couple of weeks, they'll give O'Brien six to eight weeks next year. And if they lose them all, that might pressure them into sacking him. And that makes me so angry because imagine, like, people say that stuff all the time, but think about what it means. What it means is you're saying you're, the pathetic standard you're setting in that is that if your team manages to beat 14th and 15th, the coach is doing a good enough job to, to risk next season by doing the same thing again that you did this year to just change nothing and give him another go because you don't lose to 14th and 15th. So I, but that's what happens in rugby league is that they're so pressured by media cycles that the win has got them off his back. And I, I read an article the other day, Daniel Safidi reveals uh, honesty session, the cause of the night's turnaround. And I was like, what turnaround? They beat 14th, 14-10, nearly <laughs> lost on the belt. But what, that, that, it, it really frustrates me and they'd have been better off I was happy they won, but they would be better off having lost them all so that they sacked the coach and replaced him. But it's, yeah, that's my little rant. It's just really around media narrative. Um, not much to say in the game. It was pretty, pretty average. Newcastle were pretty good for 20 minutes and very Newcastle for the rest of the game and lucky to hold on in the end, to be honest with you. There was not much to write home about for either team. It felt like um, at the very uh, end that yeah. the Tigers were going to take it, but Adam Dewey didn't get the ball and they just had no real 
Oh, poor Dewey. I, that last set, I actually filmed that and sent it to a mate. It was like, watch what the Tigers do with the ball. You want to watch <laughs> how to lose a football game? Watch this set where their 27-year-old bench forward takes a one-out hit up with 15 seconds left. Then their 27-year-old reserve grade hooker tries a barge over from about four metres out, not even on the try line. And then watch how for the third play in a row, their best player is still screaming for it on the right-hand side and they swing it over to Jock Madden instead and every single one of those plays Dewey just had these full arms out going what are you doing uh, it, it's just how to lose a game like in in one set it's uh, it's almost trolling like to think that you'll get in that situation and continually troll it's like punking Dewey almost where you're like oh watch this you think you're getting it this time yeah nah, and we could do something else and it's like I couldn't believe no, it no they did like, it's, you know, if it was another team they were, oh. I thought they were going to win that or if it was a team that just gave the ball to Dewey pretty much for the whole last well, set of six I mean he may set something up. He may not. They didn't have an overlap or anything. But what do you do? Like any, te- like if you know what you're doing and you understand rugby, how rugby league works, the ball in that situation goes to your best player. It goes to Cleary, goes to Cherry Evans, goes to Tedesco, Pongo, whoever. And it it didn't ever go there in those teams. And those mistakes don't happen as much in well-run teams. Um, you just, for example, wouldn't see Penrith get in that situation and not see the ball with either Cleary or Lua. Mm. Uh, it would just never, ever happen. You would never see, like, Scott Sorensen take the hit up that the Tigers bench forward took with 15 seconds left, one out and stuff. It would you you wouldn't see it with a non-top that's, eight that's teams. good team be bad team, like, you know. But, but, non-top yeah. eight teams. Like, Manly, DC, he's going to get the ball. Ben Hunt's going to yeah. get the ball with the Dragons, yeah. and we've seen that happen. Yeah. You know, like, it's they, even the bad teams that aren't well aren't in the top eight are still smart enough to do those type of things. So it was pretty, pretty ordinary game. Um, let's finish the round review. Controversial next topic. Super controversial, the rookie presser. Now, before we get controversial, okay, I just I just have to say before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, where you know we're going to have some disagreements and things, and certainly it's, it's pretty split out there. Just let, let's everybody take a moment just to realise that if we didn't have Ricky Stewart, there would be zero people watching press conferences at the moment. <laughs> you know, Ricky <laughs> is immense value for at least keeping press conferences relevant because the entertainment and shock factor, you know, it, it's there would be no viewership at all of press conferences. And because of Ricky, it, he has single-handedly for a number of years now kept press conferences interesting at least. Can you at least give me that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, when they lose, I love watching them. Because it's just you just get to it's like what to see a grown man cry every week. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it's, there's there's an immense entertainment value in there. Um, but in saying that, you know, it's uh, I'll start off. I'll kick off and say what I thought of the actual press conference um, and what Ricky said, and then I'm and then I'm going to get you to chime in because I think that you're a little bit different to me. Um, and I'll say straight out that it's. Uh, Seems to be a controversial view that I have because I will say straight up, first of all, uh, he did the wrong thing. Um, The biggest thing for me was it was unprofessional for a coach in a press conference to act in that manner, uh, and he should be punished for it. Um, I thought a fine was fine, um, and I would have fined him, you know, 25K. I thought it was really good that they did that out of his own pocket as well, and that's what I would have done. Uh, I wouldn't have suspended him, but I'm fine with a one-game suspension. That's You know, I'm, I'm fine with the punishment the NRL have done. Um, and I acknowledge that he's done the wrong thing and that he's unprofessional. What I will say on the flip side of that is I actually think that the amount of pile-on that has started to happen now is actually over the top. I know that's controversial, so let me explain myself. There are so many sections at the moment 
fan bases that are saying things like Ricky Stewart should lose his job, Ricky Stewart shouldn't coach again, he should be deregistered, um, the Canberra Raiders should sack him, the NRL should sack him, he should get a six-week suspension, he should be able to coach again until next year, uh, all these type of things. And I just think that that is just so over the top. You know, I agree he did the wrong thing, but when you drill down, what has he done? He has called someone a weak dog. You know, that that's it. Yeah, it's not good in a press conference, but at the end of the day, you know, it's there's a lot worse things that get done, and there's a lot worse things said on the rugby league field that you hear on the sideline. The players call each other. It's just it was the wrong forum for it. But you know, where some people just seem to be acting like he shot somebody, and this is the worst thing in the world. Now, I'll finish off by saying there's the other side of it where people are saying you know there's no reason for it, or you know where where's he get off saying something like this. I will say, you know, like uh, very few people know this, the Salmon backstory. And I took it as him saying, you know, when he was a young player, he he was a bit of a dog with how he acted and things, and nothing's changed because I just saw him be a dog again on the field. Now, players say those type of things all the time. They just don't do it in a press conference, number one, and even coaches do too, I reckon. But I, I will say that Damon Salmon, you know, and your opinion on this, Luke, and everyone listening will be very different depending on how you saw it. I've watched this incident on the field multiple times. I thought from the get-go it was on purpose, and the hundredth time I watched it, I was sure that it was on purpose. So to me, Jamin Salmon has gone on the field there, and what he has done is kicked someone in the nuts with his foot, and then he kicked them in the face as well. And he's done it on purpose. Based on what I've watched, that's the conclusion I came to, which, by the way, the match review committee came to the conclusion that he did something because he got charged. So yeah, if Jared Aware Hargraves did that, I think a lot of fans would be saying he was a weak dog because it's a dog act, and it is a dog act to kick someone in the family jewels in the face. So to me, it's not like Ricky Stewart didn't have something to be annoyed about, and he got asked directly about what he thought about the incident. Yeah, I actually think that James Sam did the wrong thing on the field, and I do think it was a dog act. Now, a lot of players do that. I'm not going to call him a dog, but a lot of players do dog acts from time to time. Some of the great players do, but it was. It's not like nothing happened there. So to me, you know, there was actually something there, which I think is being missed as well. And I, I thought that Salmon did it on purpose, which probably influences how I think about it as well. Did Ricky Stewart do the wrong thing? Yes. Was he unprofessional? Yes. Should he be punished? Yes. Should he be sacked? Should he be you know, losing years of his career? Should we just be moving on at this point? You know, Yeah, I, I think that it's just gotten a bit over the top and a little bit crazy and probably because a lot of people just don't like Ricky Stewart. Yeah. And I mean... A lot of people, <laughs> it's a bit to unpack there. I mean, a lot of people don't like Ricky Stewart, um, but a lot of people don't like Ricky Stewart because he says and does things like this all the time. Um, you know, this is the worst example, but he feuds and argues and has a go at people all of the time in a completely emotional manner uh, at any slight that happens to his team or gets involved. I mean, what was it he said earlier in this year about them? Uh, uh, you know, when they've suspended in the pre, I was rooting Canberra up, uh, or something like that. Another example of them doing something or other to the Raiders. When Just another example of Canberra getting screwed up the ass. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I was trying to think of the exact words. Yeah, like stuff like that. Like it's all this kind of thing, which was funny. And like, I don't have a problem with him putting it like, you know, like that. But he, he bursts out with things all the time that are quite hypocritical um, when you look at the shoe on the other foot. Um, the actual incident, like it, the end of the day, it may or may not have been intentional. I, I don't actually think it matters because it. The, the point is, there's a lot of people out there that keep saying, "Well, he, he kicked him, therefore it's okay that he said that because he is a dog." And you were like, "Well, I mean, there's never been probably an NRL game where someone hasn't done something 
bad. Um, and even something intentional, if it's not intentional, something that was designed with the intention of hurting someone and got out of hand or whatever else. And coaches don't react like that. I mean, Ivan Cleary, when they played Newcastle this year, had Mitch Barnett sort of feel it blatantly elbow someone in the head who didn't have the ball. He didn't react like that. And that was obviously a fairly dog thing to do. Um, it, it's the, the thing I have with it, and we agree on, is the unprofessionalism. And that is why, in my view, why there is a pylon. Should he miss all these games? No, but it, it really is incredibly unprofessional. It, it's, we expect nowadays, and rightly, a fairly high standard of behaviour by people who are in senior positions. Um, you know, I work with, I'm a lawyer and I work with and against people all the time. I have cases against people all the time. I don't publicly, but I think awful things about some people I've had to work against, but I don't publicly say things like that in the middle of a case and never would. And anyone here who works in any workplace knows that you don't speak like that. Um, and it, it, it is, he's a very experienced person who's been around a lot of games and he should know better than by now to, to, to behave in this way um he should know better can i just ask yeah. you something about that workplace one though because it's a yeah. it's an it's an interesting one because i've had this argument with a few people yeah. there's a lot of people that are sort of coming out and saying you know in any other workplace you'd be sacked if you're a teacher you'd be sacked saying that about a kid or all yeah. this and i just i just find that just a bit crazy to be honest like you can't say what's acceptable in an office environment or as a teacher or as a doctor or whatever is the same as what's acceptable as a rugby league player like what he did was unacceptable but like he's not a rugby league player oh well a rugby league league coach you know yeah uh, employed in rugby league i mean at the end of the day you know what's being what's being said in the sheds which is essentially the office comparison Mm. (laughs) you know you would be sacked within a minute in an office environment like there's different expectations and different roles you can't say you'd be sacked for it there but you know so you should be sacked for it here this isn't on the field and I want, I, I'm not having any arguments that, that it's on the field because I've heard that too, what happens on the field and it's at sport. This isn't actually sport. It, they're not on the field at all. It's after a game. Um, he's in a press conference afterwards um, speaking publicly to the media. It's inappropriate. It, it, I'm not, I actually don't agree with your base point about the penalty, but the pile-on comes from the place that people have had a gutful of how Ricky Stewart behaves. Now, he may well have a valid reason for this and that that's fine, but feel free to call him a weak gutted dog in private now um, as much as you like. But we've just had years and years of petulance out of Ricky all the time, anything. And it's, it's no coincidence it happened after a loss. It wouldn't have happened if they won. No way. It's they, the Raiders go badly. He, he kicks the can. He complains. He, he, in my view is, is, I think he's one of the greatest halfbacks ever, and I think he is, a, as a leader and a coach, I think it's underrated how bad he is. Uh, I think if you look at that club, the amount of issues they have off the field, the amount of players that leave um, early on their contracts that don't want to be around him anymore, that he falls out with, the amount, the, 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 the culture and excuses they've had in that place for poor player behaviour for years now, uh, there is always something going on. There is always issues going on that he papers over and won't deal with. Never been a season where all of this stuff doesn't happen. And in my view, albeit there's been some limited success in a year, they've had good seasons. For a large part, this sort of behaviour from him, people have just had a gutful, and that's why the pile ones from because it's just the hundredth time and the worst time that this has happened. And an example I, I, I've given to you before, and I'll give it again: Have a compare 
of how he reacted to this, to how Trent Robinson responded last year when when Latrell Mitchell ironed the hell out of Joey Manu and, and wrecked his season. And Latrell Mitchell has a bad history with the Roosters. He's not popular there. The players obviously can't stand him. There's people trying to fight him, like on the way off the ground or being held back from fighting him on the way off the ground. Robinson's heard and dealt with all of that. He'll have dealt with the fallout when he left the club in bad circumstances. And he got into that press conference and was extremely measured and said nothing particularly inflammatory. And that is what is expected of you if you want to be in a senior position because there's just standards of behaviour we expect from people. And if you want to be the face of your organisation and be publicly, then this is what we expect from you. And if you don't want to have that role, fine. You want to be a loose cannon and go away and do all that. But you don't get to hold these roles because we just we hold people to a higher standard of behaviour. To sum it up, should he be sacked? No. The NRL shouldn't sack him. The NRL shouldn't ban him for 10 weeks. Should Canberra sack him for this? Not particularly. But should Canberra want him coaching there? No, because he's, they shouldn't want him in general because they should say this is just the hundredth time that we have to deal with the petulance and the lack of leadership and, and the emotion that he lets out after all of this stuff when we just ne- we need someone to actually lead this organisation appropriately. And, and I mean, Bellamy's a great example. I mean, be- the stuff Bellamy comes out with during a game and all that emotion, but he controls it when he's in a press conference after the game and when he speaks and he's interviewed, he's perfectly calm and, and measured. You can be emotional and still hold yourself to a professional standard in the right forum, and that, that's just not Ricky Stewart. And we see it in his players all the time because we've seen that petulance and that attitude. Um, there was John Bateman and all those guys going after the media the other year and swearing at them and putting, you know, tweeting at, at them aggressively and all this stuff. That all comes from the top. It comes from Ricky. <laughs> but you say that, and but, uh, and I agree with you, but you say that and I agree with you. But also, you know, there is other senior people in that organisation and none of them are doing anything with all this stuff either. You know, so you can bring up the John Bateman example and all the others, which I've been massively critical of in the past as well and critical of the Raiders. But Ricky's not the only one there. And you know, No, no, this- no, but it's not, not doing anything about it. It's learned behaviour. That's how he behaves. Like he goes in and roasts, mm. you know, they have a fallout with a player and he roasts them. They fall out with a journo and he's writing an article about how the journo's a wanker and texting him abusively and all this stuff. That's why the players do it. Ricky signs players with behavioral problems or excuses it or doesn't punish them when it happens. And the players keep doing it. Like, yes, you're right. Other people are not doing something about it, but he is actually like the, that's how organizations work that you see what's acceptable and what, how people behave. And it's often mimicked by people lower down. His behaviors are everything that's wrong down there and has been for years. And I don't know why he doesn't get called out. I don't, I don't get it. I think it's just the grand final run because they haven't had a lot of success outside of probably there's been three seasons that have been good and a lot of seasons that haven't. And I think that really has stopped the microscope. Yeah, I, I get that. And like, I think, you know, there's a couple of main points there that I'll talk to. One of them is I don't think anyone, um, including me, who actually thinks that like we should just move past it at this point and it's not as big a deal as what some people are actually making out, in isolation, but it's one of those things where I don't disagree that it was unprofessional. Um, I I think everybody, like even Paul Ken's copying roastings and stuff at the moment, even he said it shouldn't have been done in a press conference. It was unprofessional. It shouldn't have happened. I'm sure. I'm sure he regrets it. And even he said, "What should happen? He should get fined twenty five thousand or something." Like you know, I think everybody, even his most hardened supporters have said he's done the wrong thing, it was unprofessional, it shouldn't have been done in that press conference, he needs to be punished. Nobody's in disagreement with that. Um, As far as 
some of the wider points that you made, I actually agree with them, but I disagree with the context a little. And what I mean is, like, I don't think he's been a very good coach either. I think there's been a, a lot of things with his coaching that has been wrong, a lot of things with his uh, roster assembly and, and different different things as well, how they've punished players in the past as a club, a whole heap of stuff. But when I say what my view is on what he's just done, you know, I'm talking about what he's just done. It's not just, it's not about he's not a good football coach as well and he's not this and he's not that, you know. And I get that he's done this in other press conferences before and, and that sort of comes into it that he's been, you know, a bit well, combative in different press conferences and things like that and a little bit unprofessional and, and whatever. Um, but when I'm looking at this, I'm just looking at what he actually just did. You know, how bad is what he just did? And to me, you know, calling someone a weak dog, in a press conference, sorry, weak gutted dog. We've got to get it right because there's going to be like 2,000 super coach teams with his name next year. <laughs> there's going to be some T-shirts soon. You know? you got, you, don't, don't leave the words out. Yeah. <laughs> you weak. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I don't think you and I are that far apart on that in isolation it's not that bad, and but he needed to be punished. But I, I think all I, – I, you think that the pile on – is out of order. I guess I'm not saying you should, I'm not really saying that what they're suggesting should happen. I don't think you should be banned for the year and all that stuff, but I'm just contextualizing why it's happening. And it is the backdrop, not that he's a bad coach. It's the backdrop of how much of this sort of behavior has come from him over a long time that people are just sick of it. And are going throw the book at him to shut him up because it doesn't work. Like, or you're, they go, Oh, he's been fined 150 grand over his career or something. And you go, yeah. And what's that done? When's that stopped him? It doesn't. He just does it again and again. And they're saying, we're over it. You know, we're just over it. Like, stop it. Like, hit him somewhere where it hurts. And the only thing that would hurt Ricky Stewart is missing. He just, like, the Ricky Stewart, whatever else he does, is obsessed with rugby league. And he would die if you take him six weeks off. And that, that's what they're saying is, like, hit him somewhere that is going to shut him up personally um, or like, permanently. But, look, for me, I think what... what him calling him a dog, like we've all called someone a dog. I play cricket, I call someone a dog every second week. Like I get it. Like, but I think what what needs to be understood because I I see some of the other stuff on the other side. Like you talk about that extreme. I've seen the extreme of people saying it's fine. You can call him a dog because what he did was dog and all of this sort of stuff. But I, people need to understand that. Uh, look, uh, as somebody who think that he did it on purpose, I reckon you can't. You just can't do it in can. a press conference. That, that, that's right. That's right. You, you can say things. And if, if Ricky was playing, that would be fine. Like if he was on the field, that would be fine. But one of the things we do now that it is fundamentally a good thing is we just do expect certain st- standards of behaviour from people in public and that we've all, you know, said nasty things to people at various times with justification or without, but, you know, particularly with justification, if someone's really done the wrong thing by you, we've all said something horrible and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, people get in fights and all sorts of things happen all the time. But one thing like, but it's not, we don't encourage people to behave that way. And it's better for all of us if we don't, and we all can be civil and, and speak politely and everything else. And one way we try and enforce that a bit is we do expect people to behave to a certain standard when they're in a public office or in the public limelight. That's if Ricky wants to privately call him that. And if it came out that Ricky called him that privately, no problem. Like seriously, just none. Like, right. Ricky thinks that we kicked him in the head and potentially and doesn't like him. Well, fine. But we just expect that people won't go after someone publicly and start calling him all these names, because if you just say it's okay, then we're just going to get it all the time. And, and when you get it all the time, it, I know it's a bit of a straw man argument to say, what about juniors and everything else? But 
seriously, people watch the sport. And if Ricky Stewart does it this week and the next week's coach, if Des Hasler's just like, you know, um, James Tedesco's a flog and the next guy goes whatever else over and over and over. And people people just think it is okay to call people a whole heap of names and be nasty and awful about it. And it will catch on and it it shouldn't we, it's p- things like that happen in real life and that's fine but we just don't encourage it and we don't we expect a certain standard or a higher standard of people in the public eye in certain forums and if it had never happened before and nothing had ever happened before i don't think you would get the, the calls we're getting about being from there i don't think it happened oh, i think that i think that we st- i actually think that we still would yeah, just maybe I've... not as many i agree but i think that we still would and i think like where i'm coming from in the basis of it is i don't actually have a problem with him calling a week calling salmon a week gutter dog to be perfectly honest i just have a problem with him doing it in that forum in a press conference when there needs to be obviously professionalism and he's in a role so as totally coach, if he know, went he and, if that. we went and did it in so, the sheds, i don't think we'd, i wouldn't have any argument with what you're saying it's not that's what people miss, though. They're going, oh, but he is a dog. But that's my problem, though, Luke. I think a lot of people are focusing on what he said, saying they've got a problem with what he said anyway. You know, the amount of people that are saying, um, you know, there should be legal action and oh, all this stuff, it's just, it just it blows my mind. And, like, I, I want to just finish up on, you know, the other person involved in this is Jamin Salmon. I mentioned I thought what he did was on purpose. There's people saying that it's just it's crazy that um, what Ricky Stewart's um, done referring to a 12-year-old kid. I just I don't cop any of that, you know, and I, I understand it's controversial. Like I said, you disagree with the podcast, we'll have a beer later and we'll make up, it's fine. But everyone, this is why, okay? He's not talking about a 12-year-old kid to me. He's talking about a 23-year-old man that to me, sport is the big, is the big balancer. Okay, it doesn't matter who you are in sport, whether you're a 23 year old kid or a 30 year old veteran or a coach or whoever, everyone's playing the sport, everyone's on equal footing. You can have a go at everyone as much as you want. You know, how many times we marvel at a 19 year old prop forward going smack a 30, 30 year old prop that's played for Australia for 10 years? You know, age and experience doesn't mean anything. So he was talking about a player on the field, you know, and he was referring to how he was when he was a kid. He didn't pick a 12 year old kid out of the audience and say, hey, 12 year old kid, you're a weak gutted dog, you little. Yeah. He didn't do that. So I I see it a little bit differently, but I will also say that um, people have been very quick to say, you know, nobody should ever say these sort of things. Nobody should ever. I've got to say, people need to get off their moral high horse on that stuff. And I'm going to go on a two-minute rant here and I'm going to give you a chance to come back at me. And if you want to go for it, I'm I'm all all ready for it. But, you know, like... I think people need to get off the moral high horse and actually get a grip and get a get a piece of reality because nobody knows what was said or very few people know what was said. But you know, twelve year olds can actually say some pretty and do some pretty bad stuff. You know, like I'm not even talking about salmon here, so don't anyone misconstrue this. I'm not talking about salmon. I'm talking about generally. And as a father of a couple of kids that are young, if there was a twelve year old that was doing a lot of stuff to my kids or saying a lot of stuff. And I had a problem with that. And I ended up getting a blue with a father about it. You know, I would still not like that kid. Um, And especially if I knew if that kid throughout the years and, you know, I'm not saying salmon specifically again, but as a 12 year old, there's a lot of stuff that you can do to other kids where their parents are not going to like you. Okay. And if you saw that kid a decade later, and they did something that you you thought was a dog act, whatever it was, you would remember and it would come up and you would still not like them and you'd say, well, look, they're the same as what they were when they were growing up. And I don't think that I know one person in my life that hasn't had that conversation with mates or with someone else and said, oh, look, you know, I had a run-in with this kid when they were 12. 
whatever it was, whether it was uh, uh, girls bitching with each other or guys getting into a blue when they were 12 and starting high school, whatever, and then saw them 10, 15 years later and said, oh, look, he's done it again. He's still like that. You know, it, it's it's just life. That is how it is. I think that it's important for the fact that, one, it's reality, and whether they want to admit it or not, it's beside the point. And the second thing is as well, you know, there's a lot of pretty serious stuff that the kids do that scar people for their lives. Now, whether that's got anything to do with what Salmon did, maybe what Salmon did, if we all knew, we'd all say, actually, what Ricky overreacted massively, it shouldn't have been a fight back then, it should be now. But maybe if you knew what happened, it might be a case of, wow, that's really awful. And if that happened to my kids, I understand exactly why Ricky reacted the way that he did. And it's important for the fact that you're not going to punish Ricky less. It's not going to make it more appropriate. But understanding why he said it, uh, I think, is important because it, it's not like it just came out of nowhere. You know, there's it, that many different really serious things that can scar people and those people get triggered later on as well. You know, it's just it, it's a massive can of worms because nobody knows exactly what happened. But I do find it a little bit strange that people aren't considering what happened might have been serious or might have been something enough for to at least upset a family enough to not like another family and to say that 10 years later they still don't like another family, you know. Like, to me, there's a lot of that there as well. Firstly, there is a couple of things I disagree with in there. And the first one is we don't know what it is because that that is such a cop-out because it, the cop-out is that he might well have a reason, but that's the reason you can't go and do this publicly and then not say what it's about because he's, I'm not saying he should say what it's about. He just shouldn't have done it because on that logic, you can almost do anything. Like if I'm like, I hate this person, I could just call you anything and then be like, oh, well, if you knew why I said it. And it just creates this, it creates a situation where everyone assumes that you must have actually done something terrible. And But, I, but I'm not have. saying that, that you can but, say it. I'm not but, saying that you could say it in a press yeah, conference. Yeah, no, that, that's what I mean. Like and but he, but he did. That's the thing. He did. And that's he didn't say it in private. He didn't say it. He's allowed to not like him. But no problem with that at all. I'm sure if I had kids and someone did something to him, I'd probably never like them you know 10 years later i still wouldn't have any time for them but it's going after them in the public forum is the problem i know when you say people shouldn't say these sorts of things ever i was going to bite back on that not because they don't and not that it's not reality not that you don't have a point there just that publicly again it comes back to we hold people in public to higher standards in public when they are in public positions and when they speak publicly and what they do when they are in public Oh, look, we're on the same page with all the public stuff. Um, we, we just don't allow, like, that's the thing. Like, that him saying this is not, uh, in private, is, is not unusual or fine and we're all human and that happens. But no arguments over the private stuff, Other again, other than this wasn't private. And I, I think with a 12-year-old, I just look at it in reverse as well. I think people do do awful things when they're kids and that's almost the point is that I think if all of us were to really go back and think about, the worst thing we did when we would forget 12, even teenagers and stuff, but we've probably all done stuff we're pretty ashamed of or, un, you know, would never do now, or you probably didn't even think about it. But if you go back and find something or someone mentioned something you said or did, and you remembered it, you'd go, oh, that's awful or, or guilty about, feel a bit guilty about that. But a lot of us also, you get some leeway. Let's say it's an awful thing he did. I, you know, and especially like the area of work, I do I work with a lot of, a lot of victims and things that have come from pretty rough backgrounds and everything else. And people, do make mistakes and do awful things and grow and get better. And I'm again, I'm not even talking about so I don't know him. I have no idea whether he's an asshole or not, you know, like, and he might be. But the actual sentence is I know this kid very well. 
I had a history with him. He was a weak gutted dog as a kid and he hasn't changed. He's a weak gutted person now. Is you're a bit like, I'd like to think that you get just maybe we expect you don't bring up things people do when they're 12 years old publicly and lash them for it. That's all. No, look, the publicly stuff I, I get, I, I 100% get, and in that forum and stuff, and we've been on that page, and it, I'm more talking towards people with the holier-than-thou attitude and the moral high ground that I would never say that, or there's no, there's not going to be any any reason I say that. I'm, I, we're going on to social issues a little bit too much probably for the Talk and Footy podcast, but, you know, look, I think it is important to wrap up. You know, Ricky got a punishment that I think was fitting. Um, he shouldn't have done what he did. Uh, it was certainly wrong. It needs to be more professional. I've got no issue with the punishment whatsoever. I just think the extreme views, like a lot of extreme views in rugby league, are always a little bit too extreme. And thinking you should be sacked for calling someone a weak gutted dog, um, I think it's very, very extreme. And I can't get on board with that. Let's move on to talk about press conferences in general here. And this is the next topic. Before we do, I need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All Stars podcast in Top Sport. Topsport.com.au, you can go and jump on there and have a look. They've often got best odds in market, and they are 100% Australian-owned, which I love. You get fantastic service from them. And it's not just about sport with them either. They've got great service and great odds in their racing as well. And look, player performance markets, I've spoken about it before. It's a lot of fun. You can bet the over and under on the point scoring. Uh, It's a fantasy point scoring system. You can really easily see that. Underneath, they've got a key that tells you what scoring is, and it is based on the NRL statistics. So if you go to nrl.com, you can have a look at the statistics and see what it's based on and and go from there. But it's based on the real game statistics the NRL provides. So player performance markets are great on top sport, but if you're going to jump on there, make sure you gamble responsibly. But make sure when you create an account that you use the promo code of this podcast, and that is SC All Stars, all one word. When you create an account and ask if you've got a promo code, make sure you throw that in because... When you do and you create that account, they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But topsport.com.au, go get on and have a look today. Let's move on to talk about press conferences in general. Um, I don't want to say that people should be able to go in and say wheat gutted dog and, and a whole heap of other stuff or whatever they think about all positions. But you know, I do have a big problem with press conferences now because it's now come out, Luke, that the NRL is going to look, and, and by the way, you know, finishing on the Ricky stuff going into press conferences, one of the things with press conferences that people need to realise is that the Ricky Stewart punishment is actually, they've reinvented what the punishment is. You know, nobody's ever been suspended from what they've outburst with in a press conference before. So they have actually changed things as far as how people are punished. Normally it's the club that gets fined too and it was Ricky. So that's never happened before. So he he did get a brand new punishment. But one of the things that's come out of that is they're now, apparently there was rumours that they were opening the door at the start of the season to try and punish coaches more. And people like Trent Robinson and Des Hasler have brought up in articles for things that they say in press conferences um, and how they look. They would like to be able to suspend coaches a bit more. Maybe the Ricky Stewart suspension for a week has opened up the door for that. Uh, I just think that that's such a terrible path by the NRL. Um, and it just it comes to the point of why do we have press conferences in 2022 then? Because to me, a press conference, you know, as a fan, um, but also as if, if I was a media pundit or even just a part of the game, you want to see a coach go in there and be able to talk honestly and openly uh, about what happened in the game and what his thoughts were. Now, in 2022, it's a it's really funny conundrum where everybody complains and the media you know, puts heat on the NRL and, and the players and, and everyone involved because you get cliched one-line answers. Everyone knows the famous Wayne Bennett press conferences where he says, yes, no, maybe, and that's about it. Um, and everyone like is up in arms about that. But at the same time, 
you have this push down from the NRL that there's all these things that you can't say about how a referee performed or how a game happened and and all these different things. And I'm not saying that we should open it up for, for people to be able to say that you're a weak gun of dog, Luke, but geez, it would be a lot more entertaining if they want to get viewership, you know, <laughs> if they just let everybody say exactly what they thought about a game and opposition players, it would get pretty spicy and probably be the best reality series ever. But if we're not going to allow coaches to at least speak their mind, about what happened in a game at a professional standard and we're actually going to start coming down on them harder, then you may as well just scrap the press conferences because all you're trying to do is to push people to be like Wayne Bennett and just not answer anything. Yeah, this has nothing to do... Like, They can't use this to change the rules because this is a completely different issue to anything else. Like, the Robinson and Hasler, that's always for criticising officials and I have no problem with that at all. As long as you don't impugn their integrity, as long as you don't go in there and say they were cheating, like, that's different. If you go in there and say, I thought the referee was poor tonight um, and I thought he made mistakes and I thought the way he refereed the ruck was inconsistent, I'm, I am over. Like, I, I, it kills me, all these people who say, oh, we're too harsh on our referees and people have got to stop having a go at our referees. I, that, that, that buggers me around. It really does. I, I can't stand it. If I don't understand why they're not accountable. Um, and I hate the NRL trying to do stuff like that to silence coaches from pointing it out. And in my opinion, it causes problems like the Tigers-Cowboys incident the other week. I think the whole season, the NRL has tried to stop coaches criticising their referees really hard. And it's been picked up by the media. I've heard Triple M and everyone saying, oh, they've got to stop all these coaches saying this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And it's all about trying to shut down criticism. And when they're not criticised and don't react to the criticism, they continue to make the same mistakes until it matters big time, like it did in that Tigers game, until they make a calamitous mistake because everyone was ignoring all the other mistakes or they were silencing people who wanted to talk out about it. And that's so different. Ricky Stewart... Um, was publicly and personally having a go at an individual's character in a in a press conference and basically just slagging him off, for want of a better word. That has nothing to do with whether coaches should be able to go in there and give an honest opinion of the game. And let's be blunt. The reason I use the referee example is because what else would it be about? That's all it's ever about. They're, they're going to go in and say, we played crap or good, and full credit to the other team, and then they're going to say something, usually like 99% of the time it's going to be about the referee, 1% of the time it might be saying some guy on the other team was, you know, going over the top today or we thought Rear Graves was breaking the rules and should have got sent mm. off or something. But the rest of the time it's going to be about referees. And as long as you are not having a go at them, their integrity, like calling them cheats or suggesting that they were intentionally doing something wrong, I don't understand why you can't call them out. Because people always say, oh, players make mistakes. Yeah, players do, and players get hammered for them. Players get hammered for them. They get hammered for them, and players coaches hammer them for them, you know? Yep. Maybe not in the press conference, but they ha- I guarantee you they hammer them behind closed doors, and they hammer them, you know, and the media hammer them. The coach might not be doing it, but, you know, the media will, will go after you. And and that it, I, I don't have a problem with that, and I agree with you. There shouldn't be a press conference if you're not going to allow them to, to speak. And I know as a fan, there's been games where I've gone to listen to the press conference at the end and gone, for God's sake, just say it and pay the fine. Say it and pay the fine. Like, say it and pay the fine. Well, you want them. Yeah, yeah, you, of We've course. all been there where you're fuming at what's happened and you just want your coach to go in there and rip in for your team and actually stand up for them over what happened. And you go, pay the fine. <laughs> and you get you get two things happen. You get like yeah. them not talk about it because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to get the fine. Or they do yeah. a lot of double speak and stuff or, you know, you saw it. Okay, well, you said it, not me. Like, and all this stuff, it's like, come on. Like, everybody knows 
what happened in the game. Yeah. And the refereeing yeah. was a part of the game. You should be able to talk about it. But the other thing that does come up, like you're right, a lot of it is for the refereeing protection as such. But the other thing too is that you don't see the NRL criticised because that's a really big no-no. Like people don't even really think about that. But there's a lot of times where coaches want to criticise the NRL, you know, and if they're being honest about a game, like there's a lot of times where a coach will probably say, hey, you know, the NRL's got the, the send-off rule wrong. There's no way that my player should have got send-off. The NRL needs to have a good hard look at itself because their rules and what they've done or how they've done it is incorrect. You, you say that, you're in you're in even bigger trouble than you have criticising a ref. But it's all part of the game. So, again, you know, I'm I'm a big believer. I really like press conferences. I think it's great to hear from the player, from the, the the captain and the coach of the teams afterwards to talk about the game. But if you're not going to let them talk about the game, then just scrap it because there's no point in having it. And that's what we're moving towards with how the NRL is trying to protect itself and protect its referees. And I will summarise that by saying the NRL and the refs are just as much a part of a game that transpired as players. So you can't just take out 40% of a game or 50% of a game and say you can't talk about that part of it, but you can talk about the other 50%. It just doesn't work like that. Well, there's no point having a conference if you can't talk about the thing everyone wants to talk about. Like, um, you know, uh, the Knights-Brisbane game earlier this year, there was a terrible obstruction call, like a terrible one that when the game was tied and Brisbane scored off it and it was was just appalling. and Everyone knew it was appalling. It was all over social media. And when I go to listen to that conference, if Adam O'Brien isn't allowed to talk about the obstruction, what am I going to listen to it for? Like everyone wants to hear about the obstruction. Yeah, that's right. And and nobody wants to hear about the rest of it because that that was the the game, you know. The Tigers-Cowboys one. What are you going to do if you go into the press conference and you don't allow the Tigers coach to to talk about it? Like It's like, like why? You're right. Like, why have it? It's an important part of what happened. and, And it's... It is frustrating to me because I just think um, it, the players are the same. If they won't say anything anymore, all these people always go, oh, Fox have got unprecedented access to the players. And I just roll my eyes because you go on there and they don't say anything because nah. <laughs> they're, not, they're not supposed to and they're not allowed to. And coaching's going, Adam O'Brien at Newcastle, I listened to all of his and I mean, he's a terrible anyway. But when there's a refereeing thing and I want him to go after them, he's always just like, can't comment on that. And it, it's like, come on, mate, just, unload on it like we were robbed of that like you gotta give it to them but i understand why they don't um but like you said if you're not going to hear what they have to say like within the realms of actually commenting and having a view on the game then why have them yeah they've just made it way too hard and like i'll like we'll finish on a bit of a positive like i will give ricky a bit of a a bit of a positive because he's been hammered at the moment and he did the wrong thing on the weekend. But, you know, there's a lot of his press conferences where he wears his heart on his sleeve and he does get fined that actually are called for. Like you talked about the 150,000 in fines. Probably half of those were, he should have been able to say what he said. <laughs> like, and I actually really enjoyed those because they're the Ricky Stewart rants where he is like angry about it. He does have a massive go, but it's like, those are the ones where you want your coach to have a go and he does it, you know, like he just wears it and he's happy just to be the asshole that gets fined all the time. You know, he does have half of them. You know, there is that Ricky Stewart side where he does actually nail those press conferences, how you kind of want him to be where he's actually honest and says the things that a lot of other coaches don't say because they don't want to get the fine. Yeah, that that is true. There's, I, I, it, look, I, yeah, it, I'd be terrible. If I coached in the NRL, I would get fined. Like every, I, there would have been at every least week. 12 this year that I would have come out and got fined for from some of the stuff that's been allowed to happen. I'd have just come off absolutely. Like, especially in the state I'm in after some of the games, like I'd have just, 
lost my head in there about some of them, just like how is those just incompetent and you know, pathetic and all this sort of stuff. The, the Clemmer send-off would, be, would have been one. The night, the obstruction at Brisbane, which is pretty famous, would be another. There's just some stuff happens that you just go, you, you've got to be allowed to call this out. And, and I really do. It is a wider point. I really think the censoring of a lot of that and also the sort of almost virtue signalling of saying you have to protect referees. Anyone who has a go at refs is is basically you know, wrong or slagging them off and we need them for the game and everything. That whole culture allows that Tigers-Cowboys mistake um, and it allows that to happen maybe in a final or something because when you just paper over all the mistakes and don't talk about them, they don't address them. Criticism helps, like valid criticism helps people get better because if they see that people think this is ridiculous. Well, it's got to be accountability. Yes, it, it is accountability. That public criticism and seeing that people do not think this is good enough and that these mistakes make you look at what you're doing, try and improve it, and you won't make or you are less likely to make that big mistake when it matters. Because what happens a little bit is like a really good example is this night's one I keep going back to. It was a terrible obstruction call. Never should have happened. But then it put Brisbane in front and Brisbane then scored four tries. So everyone goes, well, it didn't cost them the game. So... O'Brien shouldn't go off about it and we mm. all forget about it. And that's true until it does. And that's why you've got to be allowed to talk about them because it, it, that's true until it does keep, happen. You can't just keep that, having the no. wrong calls being made just because <laughs> well, they don't cost no. games. It's but, okay to make the it, wrong calls. And it, oh, I made that same argument too just on last week's podcast. It will cost a game later, won't it? Like later it will. Like if you don't fix it, it will cost the next game. Like it will one day. You've got to be allowed to talk about it. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the refs in the NRL mm. not being able to be um, spoken about, but the, the players don't get spoken about either, which you mentioned a little bit of. You know, I'd love to see it where the players actually get spoken about and stuff but we just you know I don't think that we'll ever get to the point where the players and the coaches will talk as openly about the players as what they'd like to um, if they're being honest about certain player incidents or certain players performances and things they, they, they won't but maybe a part of that is because you're so over you're sterilizing everything else and censoring everything else so much that they're not comfortable doing that you know, so it is a bit of a catch-22, whereas if you let coaches talk about everything, maybe they will talk a little bit more honestly about players, a little bit more honestly about performances and things as well. But the stupid thing about that as well, Luke, is, you know, it is obviously a media press conference that we get to to watch as well. But the media goes away and doesn't get anything from that press conference. But then on NRL 360 or the back of the Daily Telegraph or whatever the next day, you get the, oh, you know, Jared Weir Hargraves thinks that Kafusi's a dog. <laughs> You know, and it's like it's not a direct quote. <laughs> you didn't see him say it, but the media gets that stuff anyway. Yeah. So it's like, well, you know, what what are we doing here? You know, why can't we just all be honest yeah. with each other? Just have these honest press conferences because it all comes out anyway. You know, and you'll get the whole, you know, Buzz Rothfield has got a uh, an exclusive, and it's like I've got an exclusive here. The Tigers are absolutely filthy that they didn't get the points against the Cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just it's just silly. But look, let, let's move on. Like, finish it off. NRL, either scrap the press conferences or, or let people actually have a natural, honest press conference and answer the questions. It's got to be one of the two. You don't get this in between and you don't get to control it or sterilise what people are saying. To a degree, of course, you weak gutted dogs out there. Um, next one, Storm Wrestle and the war of words with Brandy Alexander and Cam Smith. This is our second last topic, and then we've got our fantastic legend, Rewind, to finish up the podcast on. It's obviously um, 
come up during the week. It's made a lot of headlines, the storm themselves, the CEOs and different people have all responded and weighed in on it. It's been all through the media. Brandy Alexander, I thought quite matter-of-factly, just sort of said, well, you know, all of this is all this started with the storm and it's originated from there and then it's kept going. Um, and it was pretty much that is what he said. And um, Cam Smith came out and took uh, seemed to be quite a bit of um, – well, he's quite upset about it, and he sort of said, "Well, no, that's not true," and you know he shouldn't say that. And then you've got other people like the Storm executives saying, "You know, it's a it's a club, um, it's a person affiliated with another club saying that about that about us. How dare they?" I just saw the whole thing and just saw yeah, this whole thing's just silly. Like it's it, surely it's. I think that the Storm have this thing about trying to protect themselves from being affiliated with starting all these wrestle tactics or whatever. And there was some really stupid commentary in the media, and I don't mean to keep signaling out Fox. So I won't say NRL 360, but it was on there too. Uh, but all, all the papers, all the other publications, even you know ESPN or wherever else you want to go, everything had some really silly stuff where it was like, well, you know, there's all these other players that have been charged with it. I've got a I've got a run sheet that's all like half burnt and stuff and everything from like 1995 that says there was a wrestling coach at Brisbane, all this other crap. And it's like that all of that misses the point. And the Storm missed the point as well, though they might be purposely missing the point. Nobody is saying the Storm is the only team that wrestles. Every team wrestles. Every team has wrestling coaches. No one's saying there wasn't wrestling coaches before. But the specific things that we've had to get out of the game that have been dangerous, a lot of those have actually started at the Storm. And I, I think that that's pretty factual. Like, And when you go through it, whether it's you know the, the, the chicken wing, the rolling pin, all these different ones, a lot of them you could say did originate there and you know, that's that's the first places that you kind of saw it. And if we go back to the media 10 years ago, um, you know, it was the only place that you saw it. And certainly all other teams have adopted it. And I'm not saying this to blame the storm. And that's the thing I'll finish on before I hand over to you, Luke. I'm not, I don't think that anyone's blaming the storm. Like they did things in the parameters to win a football game. And this is where everybody's got to be a bit more honest with themselves too, and especially the Melbourne Storm probably should be too. You know, if you're asking me as an NRL player, as an NRL coach, as an NRL club, do you want to finish first and get my and get multiple premierships, but but do it by trying to bend some rules and stuff that you're allowed to do, but maybe some people won't look too kindly towards? Do you want those few premierships, or do you want to finish sixteenth? And, and take some moral high ground and not try and do any of this sort of stuff to win games? And I don't think anybody in the world is going to say, yeah, I'll finish 16th and I don't want the premierships. You know, they did what they needed to within the rules to try and find ways to be able to win games and to be more dominant. And it worked, you know, and then other teams copied that because it did work. But to try and say, you know, Cameron's fist stance really bugs me because it's like he shouldn't have said anything at all to me because it was very clear that the storm started getting more, well, they put more evolution into the wrestling tac- tactics than anyone else did, and there was all these different types of tackles that started to come out from that. Yeah, all the nasty stuff's come out of there. There's no doubt. They were doing all of it first. Um, whether wrestle- Wrestling's a very just a bleak word. It can mean anything. But all the nasty, particular, mm. identifiable tackles have come out of Melbourne, that Melbourne have come up with almost all of them, um, and including once we sort of tried to wipe out all of them, they've even come out with the famous, like what I call like 
the messy tangle where um, <laughs> like Cameron Smith was the, the best I've ever seen at making it look like he was stuck in the ruck and stuff like everything that's remotely innovative. And I use that word loosely because some of it's awful, but it is innovative. Anything that is innovative to slow the ruck down has come out of Melbourne in the last 10 years. Nobody else has come up with something probably in the last 15 years um, that Melbourne didn't think of first. I don't think it's, it's all there, good, bad, and, and awful. And, it's. I just think that's. A, I think everyone knows that. I, I don't. And I've always liked Brandy actually because he he calls stuff how it is, and he said it, and then Smith had a go, and it would be easy to back off, and he he just said calmly, "That's." I thought it was common knowledge, and that's what I think, um, and left it at that. And he did a similar thing. I was admired him a few years ago. I remember Thurston's last season. He came out and said he'd had it, and he got absolutely toasted. And he was like, "Well, that's how I see it." I'm a commentator and I'm giving public comment. That's what I say. And he was right. By the end of the year, everyone knew he was right. He was finished. But but that that he I like him for that reason. I think he says stuff that he thinks and you might not agree with him, but he stands by it and he did it again here. And he's probably right. Uh, the, the thing with me for wrestling is um the criticism, I'm frustrated that the storm have been allowed to do that. I hated that football when it was at its peak. It was awful. And it's on the How NRL, the right? Oh, that's the thing. But that's what I was going to say. It's an NRL problem because the NRL has this problem of waiting for specific things and checklists to look for instead of redesigning or understanding what they want the actual game to look like. So what they see is, oh, well, you're allowed to do this, that, and the other. Oh, but now we'll ban this specific thing that looks a bit dodgy. So, First, it was, you know, um, I forget what they call it. When, when you drive in at the knee, whatever that one's called, cannonball. cannonball. So it was like, well, cannonballs are bad. So now it's specifically a penalty if you run in hard and drive at this spot, but not anything else. Then it was, oh, well, they're doing this rolling pin thing. So if we see someone do exactly this um, and they define the offence almost like it's illegal, you know, like a, it's criminal law and you're defining the offence for court and stuff, then if we see exactly that, will ban it. And they never, instead of looking at, because someone will always come up with the next thing like this, right? There's always going to be another way to slow someone down that is offends our sensibilities a bit, like stuff that we don't think is part of the game. Like we don't think that rolling pin is part of the game. Like that, that's, it's, it's rough. And if someone did that, you know, it's just not how, what we think of as fair play. And instead of waiting for each individual new thing like that, they need to actually look at what they want tackles to look like, what should be rewarded and what shouldn't. And it might be as simple as like, hey, when, you, when you're when you in this wrestle and you're on the ground, you've just got to get off. Like, we're going to make people get off quicker. And, you know, the fact, do you know what I mean? Like, they can't just, it's, or we're going to reward, we're not, if you tackle around the legs, we're going to let you hold on longer. But if you're up top, you know what, once you've got three in the tackle, we're going to call release. As soon as you got three in, like, and that these are just examples, and you don't have to agree with that exact example, yeah. but you have to start saying, what do you want the tackles to look like? What rugby league? When does it look good? And what don't people care about? And what do we not like? And how do we actually set up a game around that and stop looking at specific offences and address the wider issue that the ruck has become a problem? It has become, in the last twenty years, a bit like rugby union, to be honest with you, where that. Casual fans don't understand what's happening. Um, I hate rugby union. When I watch it, I don't get what's happening in a ruck. All I understand is there's a skill involved in there that I don't get and can't see and appreciate. And rugby league has become too much like that in that if, if you are a casual fan and go to a game, you don't understand why one team beat the other because you don't actually get the importance of slowing the ruck down. You, you, you shouldn't walk away from a game and say they beat us in the wrestle. 
Like, it's just that that's not the game I grew up with. It really isn't. Like, that's not what, no one said that in the 80s or 90s, you know what I mean? Like, it was like nobody ever said we beat them in the wrestle because that's not what anyone wants to watch. And it's not <laughs> what people like about the game and it's not the skill we're trying to reward. And instead of uh, looking for the next tackle to ban, and, and they, should, they, they need to at some stage sit down and say, well, what do we want to reward and what do we not, what do we not want? And we don't want wrestle if that's not what you want then don't be in the next weird sort of tackle Melbourne come up with. Actually address the problem and say, right, third man in, release. It's done. Or you tackle him around the legs, you get more time, you know? <laughs> there's a lot of ways that they could fix it. Like, there's so many ways. And this is – and that's the problem with it too. That And, like, you know, Storm fans that are all up in arms about what Brady said and stuff, you know, I think that he's come from the same place that me and Luca. I'm not blaming the Storm. Like I said, I'll, I'll take the premierships and be a little bit – you know, bend any of the rules but not break them and, and look for new stuff to do. And that's fine. I'd rather do that and get the premiership. You know, everybody will if they're being honest. But I'm not having a go at the storm. Rugby league clubs in the NRL are allowed to do whatever they can within the parameters of the game to win. And that should be every club's goal. Everything you can do in the rules to win. That's not the storm's problem that the NRL didn't come down harder or stop them from doing some of the things that they did. I don't like some of the stuff that some of these storm tackles have evolved into and some of the things that we've seen. And we have seen other clubs do it too. So I'm not just blaming the storm. Other clubs have adopted it. But to think that it didn't come out of the storm or some of it did originate from there is just crazy. Of course it did. Everybody knows that. Everyone saw it. We watched rugby league. It was very effective. But to Luke's point to finish up on, it's all on the NRL. The NRL should be a lot more proactive about it. There was a lot of ways that they could have fixed this over the last 15 odd years and they haven't done anywhere near enough of it and they're going to continue not doing enough of it. You know, and I'd probably say something that wasn't brought up, Luke, is I'd love to see some transparency and some actual aggressive um, league management from the NRL where they're sort of seeing one of these tackles happen and sending a memo to that club and saying, we've seen this. It's a different sort of tackle than we've ever seen before and we don't like it. I don't want to see this in the game. It's not something that we can charge you for at the moment, but you're on notice. We've, we've seen it. Don't do it again. And all these sort of things, I've always been of the belief that don't put it behind closed doors. You know, use NRL.com as a hub to your fans to be absolutely transparent about everything. Have have that out there. You know, we've issued, you know, you see the breach notices that are issued and you see the charges with the match review committee. You know, why can't we have some sort of um, official league statement regarding this tackle? You know, we've contacted about this tackle. We don't want to see it again. Something, you know, you're going to do it a lot better than that, but you know what I mean. You know, everyone's on the same page and you just nip it in the bud straight away instead of years on end of all this crap and injuries and different things that you don't want to see and other clubs adopting it because they see that it's effective and the Storm are allowed to do it. Yeah, I think the best comparator to it all is is actually um, the diving or staying down thing. It's the same thing where everyone goes, what's the game turning into? Players need to stop staying down. And you go, well, as long as the rule is, if you're going to get... If you're going to get rewarded. If you're going to get a penalty every time you lay down, I'm like, you know, what do I want Newcastle to do at 12 all with a minute to go if someone thinks you got a clip around the ear lightly? If he's get like, it comes back to the rules again, that players are going to try and get an advantage under the rules. And if you let them, they will take whatever advantages you can you can get and and that's just another example of that it's not a go at melbourne it just shouldn't be the game should be designed in a way that doesn't reward that sort of 
the wrestling, like that that sort of element, whether it's the normal wrestling or some really nasty techniques, that shouldn't be a skill you need to be. We want the, the team to win the comp, not to be the best team at wrestling, like right? Like we'd like the team to win the comp to be full of really hard, strong tacklers or a really expansive like West Tigers 05 side who's amazing with the ball. Like that's what we would like to win the comp. We don't want to sit, get to the grand final and say that team is the best wrestling team in the comp and they won it. And that's the problem to me is that that is still a very big part of the game and it's never used to be. And no one, no one watches it to watch that. No one walks away and go, geez, the wrestling was good in the ruck today. I enjoyed watching that. I've never heard anyone say that. No, funnily <laughs> enough, like, yeah, maybe by year 20, we'll get that yeah. or 30 or something. But we'll uh, keep going yeah. just to yeah. see. But um, look, one thing I will be critical of the Storm on, and we will finish on this and then go on our Legend Rewind, is I'm critical of how Cameron Smith and the Storm have handled this. Um, because, like, to me, you don't get it both ways. Like, if you're going to choose that path, of those type of wrestling moves and the type of things that the Storm has done to win, then you get the spoils of the win, but you don't get to knock get any of the criticism either. So you don't get to say, you know, we're going to do this and win, but by the way, don't ever have a go at us about doing it and we're, you know, we're the moral high ground compass of the NRL either. You know, you don't get both ways. You take your pick. Do you want to be the moral high ground of the league and take what comes with that by not doing it? Or do you want to do it and get the wins, but you've got to cop what comes with that? You know, you don't get it both ways. No, and- that's Cam Smith for you. Like, Cam Smith has uh, is totally um, one of the criticisms that I have of him is when anyone levels criticism at him, and it's often quite valid, um, he is just appalled, you know, like he couldn't understand why everyone was angry when he said the Storms should get all their comps back that they cheated in. Yes. Um, he was mm-hmm. outraged that people were angry that his wife got like a ten thousand dollar present from the nrl because he played 400 like all this stuff he has a long history of not thinking of being absolutely thinking that he and his organization are beyond reproach um and that's always a criticism i've had of him and this is another example of that he's he's not he doesn't think that he's ever done anything or his team that that warrants any criticism and that's a fairly long way from the truth a wonderful player wonderful career the club is fantastic i wish i went for them like far out to be a nicer life than going for Newcastle, but, <laughs> but it comes with criticism and, and that's normal. People that are really successful, it takes a lot of drive and often a few character flaws to be that successful. You have to be, a, 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 you know, pretty ruthless to, to, to win like they do. And, but you, like you say, you've got to wear the other side of that is that you're going to do some stuff that people are going to criticize. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that Cam, I think that is one of his Achilles heels. I don't think that Cam has taken criticism well no. throughout his career. Um, and that's, you know, everybody's got their flaws, and I think that's one of them. And I think it's a shame that that uh, has sort of bled into his post-career stuff. And I hope that he starts to probably mature into a very new role for him post-career, not being a player, and gets better at that. Because there's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up about Melbourne. There's going to be a lot of stuff that comes up about his ex-teammates and a lot of stuff that comes up about him. And if he doesn't find ways to be able to uh, deal with that appropriately and honestly then, you know, that's probably the barometer of is this player going to be successful transitioning into a media career post-playing or not? Mm. And he's on the precipice of that at the moment and it's something that he didn't handle well during his career, even though he handled playing rugby league brilliantly. So that was the main thing. Um, Legend Rewind. Brett Kenny. Wow. We got to do Sterlow a month ago. (laughs) His other halves partner. I mentioned on the the Sterlow Legend Rewind with with, uh, Perso who was on, that I don't think that there's any in the history of the game any halves combination of, that's better than Sterlow and Kenny. 
Like I just think that that is absolutely amazing um, for people that don't know a lot about Brett Kenny because it was a it was a career in the eighties. I'll throw out a few highlights, and Luke is going to be pretty special talking about this because he's done some great Parramatta stuff on the the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. Um, but for me, uh, you know. Kenny was someone who had this amazing speed and his his try scoring. He actually went three consecutive grand finals that they won from 81 to 83. They won three in a row, Parramatta. And in every one of those, Brett Kenny scored two tries. And by the way, in the first one, I think it was, he had two tries disallowed as well. So he could have scored four. Um, It was just, his try scoring was brilliant. um, And how he played the game, he scored 168 tries in 374 first-class games. Um, obviously those three premierships in a row, but he won a fourth premiership in 86. One of the things that's really amazing and what I think a lot of, um, especially newer fans, but like even me, like I forgot about this. In 1985, right in between his uh, Parramatta premierships, he went over to England and won a Challenge Cup and was man of the match in the in the grand final to win, to win the title over there in the UK, mid-career. In the NRL, like you don't see that sort of stuff anymore. 1985, he got the Golden Boot Award as well, and he, he was the Grand Final Man of the Match in '82 and '83 back to back. Like his his career is outstanding, uh, and I think that one of the good barometers for how good somebody was was when you talk to former players and even younger players now. They really look up to Brett Kenny and they talk about him, and he he just had an astonishing career that probably isn't spoken about enough in the media or with casually with fans. But when you get the hardcore fans or the players of the era or afterwards that modelled their game off him, everybody talks about what an amazing number six Brett Kenny was. Oh, absolutely incredible. I've gone, I've covered two games of his, we've covered the, um, the challenge cup final um, on, on the, on the podcast, rugby, rugby league cemetery. Uh, he's phenomenal. I'm, I've just looked up. I, I will send you the foot. You've got to put on Twitter, the link to the video of the try scores in that game. So people can have a look. It is unbelievable how good the try scores is. Um you're right. Three, uh, two, uh, three doubles in grand finals. He also had two tries disallowed in the '86 grand final. Admittedly, they probably should have been disallowed. That's the other game we've actually covered on the podcast last week. And he had two, so he, he was like, oh, very close to having two tries in four grand finals, which is fairly impressive. Um, but really, those things don't even sum up how good he was. And the footage I've seen of him, he, he's just incredible. I'm of the view, and I've expressed this on the cemetery, that he should be an immortal. And I don't back away from that whatsoever. Um, he, every time, New South Wales had a terrible habit of picking him at centre because he was so versatile. But when he played 5-8 for New South Wales, there's a winning record over Wally Lewis in an era that Queensland were pretty dominant. Um, he was the one player they feared a lot. They, they reckon every time he was picked at centre, Queensland used to have a giggle and really laugh about it because they, they, they've, they've cost themselves again. He was very feared by them. And every game I've seen of him, it is the standard he plays at is just absolutely unbelievable. And when you look at the star power he has uh, combined with the record, there's just two things that go to immortality for me. It, it's You've got to have a record, right? Like you have to have actually done certain achievements in the game. You've got to, you've got to win comps and play a lot of rep football and all this stuff. He has all the achievements. And he also has that star power that you just can't put your finger on, that people, if they were there, just know how good that person was. You know, there's people um, that when you go to a game, everyone who knows footy goes going, oh, this guy's playing today. And the whole crowd gets up when he gets the ball and all that kind of thing. And that was, that was Kenny. He, he 
was an absolutely electric runner of the football with a beautiful passing game, very laconic and laid back. Uh, the Challenge Cup's interesting because he's meeting royalty before the game and he's in a jacket with his hands in his pockets. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. He's got this zip-up jacket on with his hands in his pockets just casually and people, are, the, the English commentators are going, I don't think he looks like he wants to play. It's very casual, <laughs> Brett. He goes out and gets man of the match and he's just torching them all around the field. And it's, it's hard to put in words because everyone who knows the game really well, it's almost like a bit of a dog whistle. If you talk about Brett Kenny, they will all say underrated, immortal or close, you know, and it's a shame he hasn't quite caught on enough mainstream. I, I don't get why he isn't one, to be honest. The only reason I can think of is that the back, him and Sterling had a lot of injuries in the back half of their career. So the last, they, they win... Parramatta had never won anything and they have all these wins, you know, basically in a row. So they win four in a very short period, including sort of going to three grand finals in a row and all that. And the back half of their career from 86 to 91, 92, both of them get injured a lot and Parramatta aren't a factor in winning the comp again. Like they don't only not win it, they don't go that close. So it's almost like, it's always sort of the opposite of riding out on the high of, of, you know, your Cam Smith style winning a comp at the end and being at your best football at the end, their best football and the stuff that made them in that conversation was all sort of five to six years before they retired. Not not to the extent of Benji Marshall, but that's a modern comparison where if you, Benji Marshall probably would be an immortal if you cut out the second half of his career, you know what I mean? Like if you just put that in and said, yeah. this is what happened. But, but it becomes a bit out of sight, out of mind when all the good stuff was earlier on. Because other than that, I just don't see the argument for him not being there. I think he's every bit. It, I think he was as good as Wally Lewis and he was as good as anyone else who was an immortal uh, comfortably. There's just anyone who's on that list. There's no one there I would say, well, geez, he was heaps better than Brett Kenny. No way. And if he's not one, he has to be, he should be talked about more. He was just, uh, if there's one player that if you're a newer fan, you should go and look at. Honestly, one historical player you should go and find footage of and watch. I, I, it would be him for me of anyone who's played the game. He was just unbelievable to watch. Fantastic. Ringing, ringing endorsement by <laughs> Garrity there. I, I, I agree. I loved him. And I like love watching some games that I didn't get to see as a kid. Um, watching it now, I actually get goosebumps watching some of his games. And that oh, sort of talks incredible. to what Luke is talking about. Like, you talk about in this Legend Rewind series that we do at the end of each podcast and certainly, you know, when there's biographies done of great players of all timers and that sort of thing, a lot of them, they you talk about their position and sort of how good they dominated their position because they were a, um, you know, if they're a halfback, you talk about how good their kicking game was and how it was um, a fundamental halfback passing game and, and all this stuff. It was Brett Kenny, you just, you just look at him as a footballer. And that's certainly how I see him. Like I watch him and just mm. go, there's just something else here. Like I'm not seeing oh. a, a number six playing his role and being the best at playing his role. I'm just seeing a guy go out there and I, I almost liken it to um to those high school games where you have one guy that's like a, a rep player in a high school game and half of each side don't even play rugby league. <laughs> and you just get a guy go out there and just get the ball on the wing, take a hit up in the middle, run the length of the field and score a try, kick the goals as well, do a chip and chase, all this stuff, and they just score like ten tries in a game because they're just they're just a footballer, and you and you can just just see it with the eye test when you're watching guys like Brett Kenny, you just see it with how they move, with how they play, with how they dominate, and how much of a level above and class above they look to everybody else on the field, and when you're doing that against a professional league in the NRL, not a high school game. That is something pretty remarkable. And like I said, there's plenty of plays of his where you watch them 
and I just get goosebumps because it's that sort of play. It's just it's hard to even explain how good a player he was. The acceleration, he was definitely electric, but how he could run the ball and everything. Uh, he's running of the ball and he's try scoring and just his his football play. Like you can watch all of his top tries and they're all scored in different ways. Like some yeah. of them have speed, but he's got all these ones where he catches these huge bombs that Sterlo put up and stuff, or or where he gathers these balls with the softest hands you'll ever see off off his toes and picks them up and sprints away, or all different types of ways, muscling over 10 metres out from the try line. Like, it is just remarkable. Um, you mentioned Wally Lewis. Wally Lewis is often looked at as one of the best sixes of all time. In 82, uh, Wally Lewis was the Kangaroos' number six, and, and Brett Kenny came in and took his jumper, and Wally Lewis was on the bench for the Kangaroos. You know, it really was what Luke said. It was a reverse career where he came on with Sturlo and those guys dominated the NRL for six or seven years straight right from the get-go. And, and it was just yeah. absolutely remarkable. Um, and, again, you know, Brett Kenny and Sturlo, what a combination. Um, I will put a little bit of trivia in there. One of the things I found interesting is Kenny talked about how he, he played baseball as a kid. Um, and he played a lot, lot of baseball, a lot of cricket, and he was quite good at it apparently. But he reckoned that that, um, he did that sort of stuff too because it helped heaps with his hand-eye coordination. And one of the things that doesn't stick out as much unless you really look for it is he actually his hands yeah. were amazing, like how he could pick up balls and everything. And he also talked about how it helped him um, watch the ball and read plays in a different way and, and have you know spatial awareness and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, pretty remarkable. Um, so, oh, like, yeah. like yeah. He's, what, he's probably – he'd be close to my num- number one – Five eight of all time, but I don't even like labeling him as a position, Luke. Like he's just such mm. a footballer. He that that's the thing about him, and you get this a bit with the absolute top ones. Is he doesn't look like anyone else, but when you try and compare him, um, you know, it's a thing we all do. Is such and such looks a bit like this guy, or plays a bit like that guy? And there's some of them, and the, the really great players, not just the immortals, but the really great players. Often you can't. It's very hard to find someone who plays like Brad Fittler or Andrew Johns or Darren Lockett. This is not, and 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 this is very much this. At Brett Kenny, it's very hard to say, hey, he plays a bit like this guy because he just doesn't. He doesn't run like other guys. He doesn't. It, it's nothing like them. It's just him, and in, in a way that's very hard to replicate and very different. Um, you're right that the skills, the hands, and everything were there. And the other thing was the it's this classical rugby league education that's lost on a lot of people now. Is is a lot of the the more athletic the game's got now is you get all these monster athletes, but what they're not good at is the basic fundamentals of knowing where to be, like where to lob up on the field, where to um, you know. Some of these tries are scored by just being in the right place, but you have to put yourself there and, and knowing to get in that position, knowing how to draw and pass. Now, all those classical things that have gone from the game, he was perfect at, and he had all those athletic gifts as well. Because, you know, you, you don't score that, that many tries without knowing where to be um, in the right position, always backing up, always in the right spot, drawing and passing, knowing which way a guy's going to get the ball. He had all of those sort of learned things to go with the natural ability. And that's usually what makes the really great players when it's not just the athletic gifts, but they've actually learned the game to death and understand all those things as well. Well, and following on from that too, he always seemed to know what the opposition was going to do. Like when mm. you watch some of his dummies, like, and when you if you look at his try highlights, I'm sure a lot yeah. of them will show all these dummies. Yeah. Like he's got these dummies and then these sidesteps and, and some of them aren't even sidesteps. They're like swerves and acceleration where he just knows. You know, and some of these dummies that you'll see him throw in some of the highlight reels, 
you think, geez, that was bad. Like, how did they fall for that? How did... But they end up going four metres past him and he just sprints over and scores. Mm. But it's like he knows, you know, it, he just had all those skills in his kit bag and he just such a high IQ player that complemented Sterlow so well too. You know, it was, and it can't be understated. Like in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, people would talk about um, guys like Cameron Smith with the Melbourne Storm and how dominant they were because they were and they deserve to be spoken about in that manner. But this is a Parramatta side that won four out of that decade's 10 grand finals. You know, mm. they won 40% of the grand finals in a decade. They won them. They weren't there. They won them. You know, you will not even see in the modern game hardly ever that happened again. Like you mm. might see it every now and then, but it's it's pretty rare. It's yeah. it's that unicorn type of scenario where you're going to win four out of 10 grand finals in a decade. Pretty remarkable. Let alone, let's talk about how teams talk about how hard it is to win back-to-back and these guys won three in a row. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it, and they did it it's four and six years too. Like it, it is a decade, but it's, it's like... The, they fell off at the end. Like the, the dominance of the five to six year period was like, you know, it must have been like going every week and going, oh, Parramatta are going to win again or Parramatta and the Bulldogs are going to meet every year. They were just excellent. It, it's, it's, it is, it, you're right. It's astounding. And one thing I like to try and do, and I do this on the cemetery a fair bit, is I try to give a comparison, even when it's hard, just for people who, all right, what are you talking about in modern terms and stuff? And the closest sort of combo I can think of when you talk about Sterling and Cron- and th- these guys didn't actually play together that much, but just as a, a guide, Sterling was a real Cooper Cronk style player. He's a little bit different. He was a real organizer and he got his whole team around the park and all that sort of thing. Having Kenny and, and Sterling is a bit like having, say, Cronk and Munster or something like that, where you've got this off-the-cuff gifted 5'8 who is just running his own show and free to do all this stuff. And then you've got this great halfback barking everyone around and doing all the mm. organizing and moving parts. And that was the sort of combo they had where you had this amazing halfback, just getting everyone around in the right spot and everything. And on the back of that, not only are you doing all that right, but then you've got this absolute freak who could just do anything standing out second pass <laughs> wide. So everything's happening right. And the whole team's organized properly and you're all, everyone's pulling in the right direction and running the right plays. And then there's just this, freak standing out there who might do anything at any given moment and doesn't even need all that to be good and it's very dangerous when you've got that sort of yin yang in the in your halves um it's, that's the one i think everyone wants is that sort of combination of one guy who can do all of that bossing and stuff and a guy who can just cut loose it's a good comparison on styles in the halves and things as mm. well um and probably one of the things I'll finish on is is probably the thing that I think of most with Kenny as well, which I think is the thing that you need to look at that separates them. Um, Brett Kenny didn't just have all this ability and didn't just have these great highlight reels and these great games. If you watch them, you see him dominate. He did it in the biggest games on the biggest stages all over the world. And he yeah. was always there as one of the best players. Two out of those grand finals, he won the man of the match. And one of them, it was just well, not even close. He absolutely dominated men of the match performance over in in uh, England. And by the way, at that time, you know, England was could be pretty hard for guys to go over, which is why you got guys at the peak of their careers go over and play. You know, he absolutely killed it. And he just dominated these big moments and all these big games. And there is countless semi-final games to get and finals games to get into a grand final where he just killed it. You know, he was not one of those players that was a great player, but was a great player in a really good team and they take turns being you know, man of the match um, in different big games or whatever, or one of these guys that didn't step up in the big games as much as what he could dominate the weaker oppositions. He excelled 
in the bigger games, Luke. And that's probably yeah. the thing that I'll finish on memory mm. on separate him in my memories from some of the other great players of the era. I oh, agreed. He, that that's a big thing is that his best performances were in the most important games against the best opposition. That's the thing. Um, that's another memorable thing about that Challenge Cup is you're right. It was a big game. The other team had Sturlo. They weren't any mugs over there um, either. Like they had Peter Sterling, um, his halves partner, running their opposition in that game. And and it was yeah, again like the grand finals here. The, the fact that you do that when it matters, that's what separates good players from all timers. Well. That's another episode of the NRL Talk and Footy podcast on the All-Stars podcast. Uh, Luke Garrity, he is on the Rugby League Cemetery podcast, everyone. So make sure that you jump on the Rugby League Cemetery. You can hear about some of these games and being discussed in length. Um, and all these Parramatta games are fantastic. I love those episodes. But definitely check out the Rugby League Cemetery. Luke, thank you for jumping on. I really appreciate it. Always great chatting footy with you. Cheers, mate. Look forward to doing it again. And you can find this podcast on... Oh, pretty much everywhere, but certainly SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Audible, and Amazon. And definitely follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And also make sure you hit up the sponsor of the All Stars podcast in Topsport. You can go to topsport.com.au today and use a promo code to create an account. And that promo code for this podcast is SC All Stars, all one word, SC All Stars. They'll take great care of you as one of our listeners. Thanks very much for listening to another Talk and Footy podcast. We have Round 22 of the NRL Premiership starting this evening. So look forward to watching it all weekend and chatting to all you great people all about it next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.